1: We have to return to Harrenhold. Why? I've left something behind.
2: Well met, Maesters and Septons and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, the rightful heir to the microphone throne, and this is episode 69. Joining me today is our special guest host and prolific Ravenscall contributor, Lady Rachel of House Fox. Thanks so much for joining us, my lady, and welcome to Game of Microphones. Thank you so much
3: for having me, Duncan. I am so Super excited to be here and can't wait to talk about this episode with you.
2: Awesome. Yeah, I always love your feedback, so I'm sure we're going to have a great conversation this time. Oh, thank you. (laughs) On this episode of our series rewatch, we'll be covering Game of Thrones Season 3, Episode 7, The Bear and the Maiden Fair. And for anybody who's not aware of this already, this is a spoiler-filled podcast, so you still have a chance to be mauled by a bear if you would need to, so you don't have to listen to any spoilers. This is your spoiler warning.
1: Yeah. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, what'd you think about this ep, Lady Rachel?
3: Well, I loved it because I love the song The Bear and the Maiden Fair. And <laughs> Brienne being one of my favorite characters, I thought that, you know, the song always rings so true to her. And, um, is her strength. And, you know, I just thought it was an overall really good episode. And I thought we're definitely kind of gearing up to uh, the Red Wedding. I feel like this episode oh. is kind of where the wheels really start turning and getting the viewer... <laughs> Um, you know, tiny hints here and there that yeah. something major is going to come.
2: It's like nature itself is trying to push off the red wedding as long as possible, as the crew is delayed by rain and their travels to the to the twins here.
3: <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> so funny. So uh, you want to start off with your number five?
3: Sure. Um All right. So my number five is Oral and John's conversation. Nice. Um, I loved Oral's quote when he says. People work together when it suits them. They're loyal when it suits them, love each other when it suits them and kill each other when it suits them. Yeah. Um, you know, I just thought as far as like a whole show, um, it, that quote pretty much encompasses what this show is about. But I, I really felt like that was kind of like what kicked off my thought process of this is kind of the episode that's really gearing us up towards the red wedding. Um, because I thought, you know, it can totally reflect how Lord Bolton was Rob's Bannerman and then switch sides over to the uh, Lannisters. Um, It suited his own, you know, ascension, just kind of switch sides. And
1: I just thought that that
3: quote kind of really encompassed what is happening in the show right now and really what we're about to see in the next coming
2: episodes that's a great point and it, it's so funny to the the context of that quote because it really is like a deep piece of wisdom about the nature of man and the way that people behave <laughs> but but john uh, asks about it in such like a sort of condescending way and what deep wisdom have you found inside the head of a bird <laughs> you
3: know right <laughs> like it's going to be pretty some... good wisdom <laughs> yeah it really
2: is it, it nails the human condition there. Uh, pretty amazing
3: Definitely. So that was, <laughs> you know, I know it's a short number five, but I just thought that it was such a great quote, and you know, you really kind of get to see the chip on John's sh- shoulders, which you know he's kind of always had from the first episode. I think John's always had a chip on his shoulder, yeah, he being has. you know a bastard, and um, you know there was another there was another quote that he said um, that to In- uh, to Ingrid. Um, that it's a great honor to carry your house's sigil. And I thought that was a very telling line, um, kind of what goes on in John's heart and in his mind about what it would be like to be, you know, made a Stark, um, you know, it, it would be a great honor, um, that's such a
2: great point it's something that he's wanted his entire life is just to be able to bear the sigil of his father's house and something that he's never been able to do so you're right there's a whole lot more psychology and meaning and depth behind just that one little line that so many people might consider just a throwaway line pretty pretty great i didn't even pick up on that (laughs) that's awesome well
3: cool i'm glad i (laughs) did yeah that's killer (laughs) (laughs) what's your number five
2: my number five is tywin dominating joffrey
3: Okay, yeah, that was my number one, so
2: you're jumping, but we can share notes. Yeah, let's share. Um, It's just, you know, I can never get enough of Charles Dance as Tywin, first of all, and we only have so much time left with Joffrey, considering he dies in just a few episodes. Spoiler alert. Oh, (laughs) darn. Oh, darn. Yeah, just any chance we have to see these two great actors together is so fucking funny and just awesome. So it starts off with the doors to the throne room enter opening and and it's empty and it's just like vast and and this entity walks in guarded on both sides it's Tywin and he approaches the throne and your grace he says ever so respectfully and it turns out that he's called this meeting cuz Joffrey says you you wanted to speak with me um, so he, he wants to report on the meetings of the small council and it's funny cause he's keeping Joffrey out of the loop and he's sort of rubbing it in that he's not really the person in control here, you know? <laughs> so, right. So he's, he's like, Joffrey's like, well so now you've moved the small council meetings to the the Tower of the King. (laughs) That means if I wanted to have to attend a small council meeting, I would have to climb all the stairs to the Tower Tower of the King. And Tywin slowly steps up the stairs in response to that, gets on the same level as Joffrey, but now he's towering over him. And Joffrey sort of cowers and retracts on the Iron Throne and shrinks even smaller than he is. (laughs) He's already very small compared to tywin
3: <laughs> well and you know i love i love in that scene the camera angles where we're kind of getting a aerial shot above tywin looking down onto joffrey so right. i thought it was just such a great visual representation of what joffrey's discomfort level was yeah. because it was like t- i mean it was tangible you could feel the tension between the two you're really and I good i just love when tywin goes well, we could arrange to have you carried. Yeah. it was like such an insult.
2: But... <laughs> and I felt like that was almost like a really subtle threat. Like when he said we could arrange to have you carried, you know, the first thing that came into my head was pallbearers carrying a coffin. Totally.
3: Oh my gosh, good one. Yeah. <laughs> I was
2: laughing so hard. And he was just like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> like he, he he he's so scared of Tywin. It's the funniest thing. He's such a little puke, man.
3: He is. You
2: know? oh, I hate Joffrey. <laughs> What, what else like, do you know I,
3: I love him, but I hate him. You know, it's oh, yeah, that actor. Yeah. Um, oh, God, his name's escaping me. Jack Gleason. Jack Gleason. He is such a phenomenal actor to play this role. Right. To have, you know, a character hated so much. But, I mean, from all accounts that I've seen, you know, in the research I've done on his, you know, acting career is like he's a super nice kid.
2: He really is. So
3: It's just totally opposite of his natural personality so for him to be able to pull off a role like this and you know i think he's fairly young um you know like late teens or early 20s Yep. So for him to pull off a, a role like this is pretty phenomenal
2: yeah it's, it's actually really funny um i noticed the other day i saw a clip from batman begins and he was actually in that movie do you remember that the first batman with patrick or with patrick bateman with, <laughs> with christian bale yes i do he was out on the fire escape and uh batman came down and like gave him a little gift or something and a little motivational speech it was in an honest trailer and they were like batman just gave you know just met with prince joffrey i was like oh my god that's jack gleason i didn't even recognize him
3: right i know he looks totally different he looks so little
2: yeah I also loved um, Tywin's description, because one of the major points of contention in this scene is Joffrey has heard about Daenerys and the dragons, and he's like, this is a threat, you know, like, we need to deal with this. And this is one of the few times where Tywin is behaving in an extremely naive manner, um, saying that it's not even a threat, you know, um, basically saying they don't have to worry about it. He he says, when I was hand of the king under your father's predecessor, the skulls of all the Targaryen dragons were kept in this room. The skull of the last of them was right here. It was the size of an apple. You know, so he's assuming that these new dragons are going to be sick and weakly, like the, the latest. Super tiny. Yeah, it's tiny, like the old or the, the youngest of the, the last generation of dragons, essentially. And it's a, that's a dangerous game to play, man. Like, you can't take any chances when there's reports of dragons out there, you know?
3: No, and, you know, I totally agree with that. And what's funny is on the flip side, it's probably one of the only times that Joffrey actually has, like, any type of, you know, political sense about him you know, like, hey, there's dragons over, you know, in Essos, and why isn't anyone telling me about this? Because I think it's a threat, and shouldn't we do something? I mean, I think that's like the only time he even cares about information that's being, you know, counseled, and I'm using air quotes there, (laughs) counseled to him. Um, Because usually he's, you know, he's too busy for these things. There's, you know, there's many things the King has to do other than sit inside a council meeting. Right. So I think it's kind of funny that in that one quick moment, they kind of switch places for just a moment of, yeah, you know, Tywin's not taking it seriously enough. And Joffrey is actually for the first time taking something serious.
2: That's a great point too. Really, uh, really interesting revol- role reversal there. Um, hadn't thought about that either. It's, it's so weird. Very weird really really, and, really you know strange. it's just kind
3: of ironic because Tywin's the one that says like you are being counseled at this very moment <laughs> but i haven't been like, counseled oh my god <laughs> i just want to slap him i just want to slap joffrey across the face
2: do it <laughs> oh man speaking of jack gleason i have met him and he was very nice um i don't, oh, really? like, I don't where know did you meet him, him? uh new york comic con two nice. two of two ago uh so 2016 it would be yeah, he seemed like a really cool guy.
3: I can I would love to meet any of these
2: characters. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Who have I met? I've met Brienne, I've met Jack Gleason, and I think that may be it for Game of Thrones. I
3: think hey, so those, those are two good ones.
2: Oh yeah. No, oh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not upset about that. <laughs> st- I'm just waiting lucky. to
3: meet Kit Harrington.
2: <laughs> yeah, I want to hang out with Kit Harrington, man. I, I think he'd be a cool guy to chill with. Seems pretty so funny, funny.
3: story, um, our last name is Fox, obviously, and right. Kit means baby fox. That's oh. what it means, so I feel so connected to him because of
2: that. <laughs> Classic. Yes, I love me some Jon Snow. I love me some trivia, and I did not know that a Kit was a baby fox. Yes. That's pretty so cool. So now you know. <laughs> uh, then, and then, then Tywin continues on, you are being counseled at this very moment. He's like, I should be consulted about such things. From now on, I will see to it that you are appropriately consulted on important matters, whenever necessary. (laughs) In other words, I'm not going to fucking tell you anything.
3: Right, (laughs) right. I totally got that same thing.
2: Oh, my God. And, And I
3: love how he turns to walk away, and like he starts walking down the stairs, and then he remembers his courtesies, and he turns around, and he goes, you're great. <laughs> like and, yeah. that, i can't believe i even have to say that to
2: you right like, clearly we joke. know who
3: the real power is in the situation
2: and i noticed when he was walking down the steps too he, he smiled it's the only time we may may ever see him smile in this show
3: he's yeah, known he for he not totally smiling told his grandfather or
1: his grandson
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah and there's like a legit smile and uh it made me think um There's a a a little description in the books. It's not enough to be considered a spoiler, I don't think, but um, someone says, maybe uh, Jamie or something, that Tywin only really ever smiled when Joanna was alive, his wife-slash-cousin mother of his children, and after that, he just stopped smiling. So when he dies... And uh, he's laying in the uh, in the Sept of Baylor for the seven days. When Jaime's standing standing guard over his body, his as he starts to decompose, his his face sort of tightens into a smile, and it makes Cersei very mad because he never smiled in real life, and she thinks it's like a grotesque depiction, like a like a faulty uh, like caricature of her, of her father. So she's mad at Pycelle for the way he dressed, like worked with the body and everything. It's pretty funny.
1: Oh,
3: Cersei. She's a a devil, that one. (laughs) Yeah.
2: So that pretty much wraps up my number five. Is there anything else you want to add to that?
3: No, no. It it was definitely probably one of my favorite scenes, which is why I put it for my number one. Nice. But, I mean, my my favorite part was, you know, Joffrey's just kind of at the front end of the Iron Throne. He's sitting upright, (laughs) and kind of towards, like, by the end of that conversation, he's, like, like shrunken in the back, right, and, <laughs> of and it, right chair, at the, kind the very of like end, cowering.
2: yeah, exactly. And right at the very end, he shrinks back, shrinks back even further, and sits back, and then sits there and like looks con- kind of a mixture of confused and concerned. And it's just, yeah, you can just it's tell like, he's
3: should I be worried? Like my grandfather is like looming over me, and you know, again, the camera angles, the the show, the production, it's just so incredible. I mean, I don't yeah. even have to go into it, but the camera angles, the one above Tywin's shoulder and then we get another camera angle of kind of behind the iron throne looking at it from Joffrey's perspective He's and so tall you, you just you can feel it you can feel the tension in the air just because of the way the cameras are placed and yep. it's just really clever
2: yeah there's a there's definitely an art to good cinematography and good shot design you could say um, and this this show is great at it so yeah because if it was
3: just straight on you wouldn't have gotten that I mean, you would have probably gotten some of that uncomfortable feeling, but that one, especially of Tywin, above Tywin, looking down at Joffrey, I mean, that was such a visual representation of exactly what Tywin was wanting Joffrey to feel in that very
2: moment. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. So how about your number four? What do you got for us?
3: My number four is Lady Malisandra and Kendry.
2: All right. Um, Yeah, that's my number three. Is the uh, the Baratheon bastard revelation? I called
1: it.
3: <laughs> yes, yes. So, um, I I loved this scene for a number of different reasons. I think the way they CGI King's Landing in this scene, it just looks so ominous and huge and beautiful and scary. And like, how did that ever get built? And right. you know, they're on this. They're on this. Sh- ship and they're going through Blackwater Bay and there's all these boats sunk. And, you know, you kind of relive in that moment, the Battle of the Blackwater, and you kind of really get to see the devastation. I mean, when the explosion goes off in Blackwater, you know, it's like the most incredible moment, like, you know, to that point in Game of Thrones, as far as, you know, epic moments. Um, and you're kind of in awe and you see the ships kind of like splatter outwards away from the flames. But there's so much going on and there's so much that happens after that explosion that you, it never really gives you time to think about kind of the aftermath of what the devastation of war looks like after an explosion like that occurs. So I loved when they're just kind of slowly going through and Gendry goes, you know, what happened here? And, you know, Sandra goes, there's a battle. And
2: she just says wildfire.
3: <laughs> wildfire. Yeah, exactly.
2: And he's like, what the fuck? I was just here.
3: <laughs> exactly. And it's just, you know, with with King's Landing looming kind of up above them. And, you know, again, another visual representation. Um, Gendry says, you know, I'm lowborn. I'm the lowest of the low with, you know, his father's house, like literally above him.
1: Right. The highest looking of down the high. <laughs> on him,
3: Exactly. And I found it really interesting because Malisandre goes, she says something along the lines, well, I was a slave. I was scourged and branded. Right. And I was like branded. So I, I thought about it and it's, you know, this is definitely kind of a foreshadow that Malisandre wears a glamour. Right. That, you know, it's, It's known that she's very old and I've, I'm, I just started book two uh, for the second time. So, you know, I went through two and a half and then I started over. So, but I know she's known to be really old and I thought to myself, I was like, well, if she was branded, when we see her in the mirror, is it, is it the episode? Is it called the red?
2: The red woman. I believe it's the The season six premiere.
3: I watched
2: that
3: and I could not see a brand on her.
2: Oh, good call. Maybe, uh, maybe her wrinkles cover it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so maybe, I mean, I don't want to like go crazy here, but like
2: continuity error.
3: Yeah. Continuity error. Or maybe it's even more of a foreshadow that she's maybe like died before and come back into a different body at some point in her, like, I guess, 300 years was oh, wow. kind of a, a guess. You That's know? an interesting and idea. Because, um, you know, if she's from Essos and, you know, the slaves are branded, it's usually on the face.
2: Right, the slaves but, in Volantis are marked on the yeah, face. The
3: tear the- the, the mark for the, the whores and the fish for the fishermen. And, right. Um, so I, I kind of focused on her face. I mean, I didn't watch the episode. I just kind of fast forwarded to that scene because when she said that, I was like, okay, well, clearly she doesn't have a brand, but at this point being that it's a rewatch, we know she's, you know, super, super old and probably (laughs) even older than they depicted her in the, in the mirror. Um, You know, but I noticed that she didn't have a brand. So I just thought maybe that's foretelling of some unknown history that Lady Malisandra is hiding from us still.
2: Could be. She was. Uh, she was hesitant to believe that Beric had been brought back at all, though. So, uh, the notion that she may have died and changed bodies or something like that is sort of hard for me to swallow. I would yeah, be more yeah. inclined to believe that it was a continuity error, but I am absolutely not ruling that out. It, it's. We don't have any. You know. Uh, anything to suggest that it's that, that your idea is not the case? You know, it certainly could be.
3: No, I'm totally in agreement with that. I mean, it was just kind of a thought because. You know they're so careful, the the producers and the writers and the editors, I and mean, they're so careful. I've I've watched the show so many times. Um, I found very little continuity errors. Um, when watching them over and over again, so
2: yeah, same and, here.
3: You know, and so maybe it just was kind of a slip, or maybe I I mean the mirror is it's super blurry. She's at an angle, so maybe you just don't see it. But I just thought it was really kind of foretelling. Um and very interesting, you know, from a foreshadowing perspective, when we're watching it as a first time audience, when she says that, I mean, it is a foreshadow that she is wearing a glamor, that she is appearing younger than she actually is.
2: Absolutely. Definitely. I a
3: foreshadow. Loved, I loved their conversation. Um, you know, again, with the visual representation of King's landing above them, and Kendrick right? Lowborn and being a bastard and, you know, and her famous line, you know, there's power in King's blood. It's like, if he would know what that meant, he would like jump off that ship right then
2: and run right. as
3: fast as he could. Why do <laughs> and, you think
2: the gold cloaks wanted you? There's power in King's blood. So creepy.
3: Yeah. So that, you know, that was basically it for my number four. But again, it was just a great kind of representation of the show's CGI abilities. their foreshadowing. Yeah. They're just visual concepts and, you know, propelling the story forward. I mean, Gendry, Andrew does propel the story forward. I mean the leeches on his body are what kills the the three quote unquote usurpers.
2: Yeah, so, arguably, yeah.
3: So he's, you know, a, a a minor character, but he definitely is a propeller of the of the story.
2: <laughs> yeah. There's a couple things I want to point out too about this. I liked how she sort of foreshadowed who his father was before actually saying it. When they're you know, they're cruising along in the boat. He says, After all the running and fighting, here I am back where i started and she says Did, do you miss it king's landing your father's house and that's when he goes into his little thing saying I, I never had a father never wanted one haven't you ever wondered where your strength comes from your talent for fighting you know and then he's like i'm lowborn. my mother was a tavern wench and uh then she she says again you know your father's house and points to the red keep it's like I'm just a bastard. looming above them. The bastard of Robert of the house Baratheon, first of his name, king of the Andals and the first men. And at that moment, hints of the Baratheon theme start coming through the music. And I was like, yes! So fucking cool. That was a big theme like they play that music a lot during season 1 and it like loops on the on the blu-ray so it's sort of stuck in my head and <laughs> it's what the music that plays when Robert first shows up to Winterfell pilot yep yeah, in, in the, the pilot. pilot episode it's really good music so there was just a couple little hints of that music permeating through uh, the, the theme at this moment and i was like oh, oh. it's so good Ramin Javadi oh, is amazing Ramin jiovani is is a, a badass how much you want to bet he's going to be in the new star wars movies I scores.
3: I will bet a lot because <laughs> since uh, David Benioff and DB Weiss are on that, I, I can't imagine that they wouldn't want to bring him over. Right. Um, my my husband and I we went and saw the Game of Thrones live experience last oh, year. Oh,
2: lucky you! Oh awesome. my
3: gosh, it was it was an experience <laughs> um, <laughs> to say the least. It was amazing, and we're going again in September because I it, it was unbelievable. I don't want to give any spoilers to it because you really need to go. Everyone, oh, all these throners out there, it's worth it to go. It was unbelievable. And one thing that I will say about it is Ramin Jawadi, he travels with his um, principal um, violinist and celloist Ooh. singer but what they do is they hire the local orchestras and the local choirs to do it. Oh,
2: that's so cool. Do it.
3: So every city is a local orchestra and a local choir.
2: Getting their shot um, in the spotlight.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was a great homage to the cities that they go to. I think. Uh, but, you know, their, their principal, their principal musicians travel with them. And I think it's like, oh, I would say it's probably no more than a dozen. Um, but it's two hours of just phenomenal music and experience and video. It, it's like an epic trailer of the entire series. Oh, like, it's so it's cool. amazing. I That's loved so it. Cool. I can't wait. I like counting the days already.
2: I bet. I, I think I saw a clip from one of those cities where they did the tour where the they had a special guest vocalist, Sh- Serge Tankin from, uh, from System of a Down who came and was singing the reins of Castamere (laughs) and he'd like killed it. It was pretty, pretty good. It was pretty sweet. Yeah,
3: It's really good. I mean, if if people save up and, you know, buy the tickets, man, it is, if it's anywhere in your area, like an hour and a half, two hours, it is so worth the drive. It's so worth your time and money. Um, It's like nothing I've ever been to before. Oh, that's so Um, cool. It's not, you're not sitting there just watching an orchestra play, which is honestly what I thought it was at the beginning. Because I'm like, what are they really going to do?
1: Right. Um, yeah, there's, you know, like there's stuff not stuff happening. Of singing,
3: right? You know, but there's stuff going on all around you, and they make it so much fun. And the music, it it made me really
1: appreciate
3: the music even more. So now when I do rewatch the series, I'm so more in tune to Ramin Djawadi's music behind what's going on. That's great. That it, it totally enhances the show even more for me
2: that's awesome i love that and i i know i've recommended it before but for anybody who likes the music definitely go check out old episodes of podcast winterfell where he has the uh, where matt murdoch has the clef notes section and he expertly analyzes minute details in the uh, ramin in ramin javadi's scoring to explain the different emotions and changes that he makes to to reflect the scenes themselves in the music so it's fantastic anything else you want to add about this scene Nope, that was it for me. All right, I just wanted to add one more thing, which is that things on Game of Thrones often come in twos. Murderous weddings, for example. We get one this season, one the next season. (laughs) But in this case, we'll have two royal children learning the truth of their royal families. First, it's Gendry, as we see here with the Royal Bastard revelation. This event is foreshadowing the John revelation, you know, basically is what I'm totally, getting at.
3: Totally,
2: totally. So I that's love it. Such
3: a great, that's such a great point.
2: All right, my number four is Breaker of Chains, which is obviously Daenerys Targaryen, our lovely dragon queen. So the scene opens up with Jorah, Barristan, and crew, and they're approaching the... What what we can see a city in the distance. It turns out it is Yunkai, the Yellow City, and uh, somebody says that the Yunkai train bed slaves, not soldiers. We can defeat them, and and Jorah points out on the field with ease. But they won't meet us on the field. They have provisions, patience, and strong walls. If they're wise, they'll just hide and chip away at us, man by man. We know what ends up happening. This the the, uh, the infiltration that they end up pulling, which is really cool, but. This is, uh, you know, Danny learns here that they train bed slaves. So she uh, basically, uh, Jorah says, taking this city will not bring you any closer to Westeros or the Iron Throne. And she her response is, you know, they're basically saying, forget yankai let's bypass it, let's just keep doing our thing. And she's like, hold on a second. How many slaves are there in You know, <laughs> 200,000, if not more. Then we have 200,000 Reasons to take the city, you know, and I love this so much because, you know, Danny, she started off sort of, I mean, she was a slave, right? So she's always had a soft spot for slaves, but she's been sort of selfish, you know, thinking that like the throne is, her family is, their whole goal is to take back something that they feel entitled to, essentially, which just comes from a selfish position. But here, Danny is becoming less selfish, and her desire to rule is, is, is overshadowed by a more pressing concern for the well-being of the people um, and this is a trend that's very important to her development from a beggar into a just ruler right so I just love this so much that we're starting to see the the breaker of chains mentality really come out like she had her first taste into it last see or la- a few episodes ago when she uh, when she freed all the the unsullied and won their hearts and their swords and their spears. And um, and she's realizing how good that felt to to do something that's right, you know, and to 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 deliver justice. More important than ruling is is delivering justice. That's what a real ruler does, right? So, or a, a good ruler. <laughs> so, just this transition is something that I really love seeing. What do you think about that?
3: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. So this. Um... Daenerys was my number three, this kind of whole scene. And I also had that um, quote written down. And basically what I kind of said was, this is kind of her springboard for a platform to conquer slavery. Right. Um, yep. It's not just to conquer, to get to her homeland anymore. It's to conquer with a purpose to better the people that she comes into contact with. And, I couldn't agree with you more. It's really a turning point for Danny. I mean, she's always had the goal. I mean, in the pilot episode, she says to Viserys, I want to go home. That's been her driving passion right. to do this up up really until this moment. And maybe the unsullied when she frees the unsullied, but that was more kind of quick thinking on her part
1: um and i know i wrote
3: into raven's calls about that you know like having her cake and eating it too right jorah she took jorah's you know advice she took barristan's advice barristan was placating to her brother rhaegar his army followed him because they loved him because they wanted to serve him and you know jorah said you know the unsullied are They'll do whatever you say. So if you don't want them, and they obviously can't rape because they're
2: yeah, you know, <laughs> they're Theon.
3: They're Theon or Varys, Uh <laughs> You know, they don't they don't got those you know parts down there. But they will follow your orders without any disobedience. Yeah. And so what she did was she tested them. She threw them out there and said, "Kill all the sla- or kill all the masters." Break all the chains off, but don't harm, you know, any woman or child or any innocent. And then she sets them free.
1: Right. Followers
3: follow me because they love me to make their lives better. Change the world. Right. And, you know, if I'm going to have to go through this city to get to my end goal, which is to conquer Westeros. Why not do good along the way? Yeah. So I'm totally 100% with you. It's it's a great moment in her character development.
2: Absolutely. Danny enters Slavers Bay and leaves the Bay of Dragons. You know what I mean? I love it. Like she loves
3: it when she said that. Yeah,
2: like it is no longer Slavers Bay after the the Breaker of Chains is <laughs> arrives there. And you had a great point too, mentioning that her her prime motivation this whole time is to go home. She just wants to go home. She wants to sit on her throne. She wants what's hers. She wants to be home. And she is handed that opportunity on a golden platter in this episode. You know, they hand her a chest of gold and they tell her there's, there'll be much more, there's much more of this waiting for you on your ship. And she's like, my ship. My ship. She's like, right that ship and many more, as many ships as you need. We just ask that you use them. You leave. So she has her army. She's being offered all these ships. All she has to do is go, you know, and she will be on her way home. She'll be, you know, I mean, it's not necessarily the best time to show up there to, <laughs> to enter the fray. But, um, you know, she rejects that. She realizes there's something more important than what she's been seeking this whole time, which is delivering justice and, and saving people, you know, and that takes the, the most important position. And I just think it's really fucking awesome. Um,
1: Me
3: too. There's just also... I love
2: that scene. Oh, yeah. There's just so many cool things about this scene. Um, <laughs> the guys show up being carried on their litter. You know, the guy is being carried, and all the slaves are carrying him like pallbearers, basically, and um, carrying all these chests of gold. And <laughs> Have you ever held a piece of gold before, just out of curiosity?
3: No, well, not like other than jewelry, but right. not
2: like a, not not like like a, a bar or something, no. right? No. Like gold is heavy. It is massively heavy. It's very similar to uh, density uh, inter- like as lead, right? So um, wow. there's no way that even two guys would be able to carry a chest of gold that size it's just not happening <laughs> you know what i mean so it's, it's always funny to me on tv shows where like somebody picks up a chest of gold and i'm like ha! nope that's not yeah, right that's not real <laughs> dreaming <laughs> yeah oh yeah i would be dreaming for, for all, that, all that gold right i love gold <laughs> and uh, better
3: than a bitcoin.
2: Oh yeah, yeah exactly. You've got a piece of gold, it's not going anywhere. It's held its value yeah. for 6000 years. For a, for an ounce of gold in ancient Rome, you could buy a nice handmade belt and and tunic and uh and pair of sandals. And for a piece of gold today, about 1600 you can 1600 bucks, you can buy a nice handmade suit. Nice handmade belt and shoes. Same deal. You know, nothing's changed.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, that, that master was probably like, shit, I should have brought more gold after traveling through, like, the lines and lines and lines of Unsullied. Like,
1: <laughs> you
3: yeah. could see it on his face. He's like, oh, my God, this is intense. She has a ton of power behind her. And then, again, again, with this, uh, the camera angles, I, I'm seeing a pattern here, Duncan. Oh, yeah? There's, there's camera angles. He's sitting low. He sits down, and um, Miss offers him refreshment. Right. He's sitting low, and he's like looking up at this dragon, and, you know, she feels. She's just totally toying with it. I mean, she throws the meat into the air, and they're swirling around it. Yeah, he's trying to,
2: like, he's trying to intimidate her, saying, Many an army is broken against our walls. You'll find exactly. no easy conquest here, And she's Khaleesi. like, and whatever. She, and yeah, she just, like, <laughs> casually opens up a box, tosses out a chunk of meat, and the dragons like, <laughs> start, like, right? flying through the he's air. Like, and, like, whoa. He's like,
3: fuck. <laughs> yeah.
2: And those dragons are getting bigger, man. They're getting bigger. <sighs>
3: Can I just comment on the CGI of those dragons? Please. Like Um, there's so there's one scene later on in the series when um after she walks out of the Dosh Colleen and she gets her um, you know, all of her Dothraki followers and, yep, and she, she kind of I think she senses, senses Drogon yep. and she does her scene that kind of mirrors Drogo's like we're going to go conquer Westeros. We're going to sail the right, poison the wooden water. horses
2: across the poison water and tear down yeah. the castles of the iron man. And yeah. And the, the,
3: the, the show ends that that episode ends with Drogon screaming and you can see these
1: two like yeah. on
3: the side of his jowls.
2: Yeah. Where the flames come um, out or like the liquid that you know, turns into the flames
1: I'm, or yeah, something. I'm not
3: sure like what they're for. But in this episode, when Drogon stri- screams at, the, I think it's the slaves when they go to take the gold, Yep. those are, are there.
2: Oh, um, that's so
1: cool. So,
3: like, just again, with the, um, you know, just the consistency of the CGI, I mean, he's like, you know, not terrible. I mean, he's pretty big, but for being a little dragon, but <laughs> I mean... To have those details be remembered when he's the size of a 747
0: jet engine,
3: (laughs) you know, versus like, you know, like five feet long. Um, I just noticed it. And I mean, the same way the scales move and they kind of like trickle when they breathe and they kind of flutter. It's so amazing. And again, the camera angle, like you're kind of looking down or you're looking up at Drogon when he screams at them in the face. And I mean, that's intense.
2: Oh yeah, like, he the like,
3: dragon screaming in your face.
2: Why his mouth she's wide like, open? My gold. Yeah. <laughs>
3: he's like you, you promised <laughs> you me safe you gave it to me, remember? The <laughs> passage or whatever and and she's like, "Well, I promise you, but my dragon's made no promises." <laughs> yeah, yeah. That so,
2: that guy totally gave her that gold and then tried to take it back. Isn't that shitty when people do stuff like that? <laughs> um, I also really liked when when he first shows up. And Missandei is announcing him. Now comes the noble Rasdal Moeras of that ancient and honorable house, master of men and speaker to savages, to offer terms of peace. Noble lord, you are in the presence of Daenerys Stormborn of House Targaryen, queen of the Andals and the First Men. Khaleesi of the Great Grass Sea, breaker of chains, and mother of dragons. And I have written down Danny's titles are becoming more numerous. <laughs> titles,
3: titles,
2: titles, 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 <laughs> titles. Like you like to say, yeah. Oh man. So I thought that was. I love funnier. the titles. <laughs> I, yeah, I just love how they like end up with more and more and more. Um, funny little tidbit about titles that this is playing off of a, a tendency of European rulers to do this, right? And when uh, when George Washington became the first president of the United States, I don't know if you know this, but people had proposed a series of titles for the president, like oh interesting, like no, a magnanimous leader of you know of all this stuff and like the big series of titles. He's like, ah, eh, no, just call me Mr. President.
3: Oh, interesting. Yeah, I like
2: it. So uh, yeah, I, just but I also love like
3: that. the titles. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can just fill them in later. You know?
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: So total sidebar, and you can totally take this out of the podcast, but I grew up riding dressage. um, So I grew up riding horses. Oh, cool. And the sport that I did was dressage. And dressage means dance in German. And it was originally, um, the sport was created for war horses as like, like, uh, I'm, blank blanking on the word um like to intimidate to intimidate your opponent yeah, just to like, show them
2: how deeply under con, under your control the horse yes, is yeah yes very and, impressive um, stuff very impressive it, it
3: started in germany and then it kind of like spread through europe um into france and it was a huge prevalent role in the french revolution and um some of our revolutionary war horses did practice dressage um, during the actual battle.
1: Oh, wow. That's um, cool.
3: It just wasn't as prominent as like in European. And I mean, it to this day, the sport is heavily European based, but, um, you know, so War Horses, you know, me and War Horses, we got a thing going. <laughs> Have you noticed any you know,
2: dressage on the Game of Thrones at all?
3: Um. So... Not really, but I have noticed a lot of breed. Um, there's a specific breed called a Frisian, and mm-hmm. they are the big black horses with like the really tall necks and the really thick manes and kind of the the uh, the long hairy um, skirts like over their hooves. Um, Jon Snow rides one a few times. Jorah Jorah rides one when they are searching for Daenerys in the field, and he finds her ring after after the oh. dog rack, like pick her up and Frisians are um, very well known for their dressage capabilities they're not the most popular show horse when it comes to dressage but they're very naturally talented at
2: it interesting
3: um their confirmation allows them to do the movements um so you do see it but um it's more
2: in small amounts
3: yeah it's just, just it's hints very of it small, sort of like kind of more english writing like I don't know if they use a body double for Sansa when she's writing, but if they don't, she's a very accomplished writer. I can just tell by her, her seat and the way she sits. So if they're using a body double, that makes sense.
1: Hmm. But, interesting.
3: um, if they're not, she's an accomplished writer
2: That's for sure. That's cool. I'll keep that in the show if you don't mind.
3: No, not was, at all. That's interesting.
2: For it. That's great. Um, yeah. so, um, <laughs> we we talked about how she th- tosses the meat and the dragons go crazy and the guys like oh god and then um basically when 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 the slaver tells her that all we ask in return is that you use the ships sail them back to Westeros i it, i there was a moment that reminded me of the moment where we thought that she decided that she was going to make her move to uh, to take the unsullied and kill the uh, Krasnese Monastis. And right after the guy here says that, we just want you to leave, there's a moment where, much like in Astapor, Danny gazes down at the slaves and seems to gather her resolve. And that's when she steps, you know, turns it back around on him and says, I have a gift for you as well your life. I love it. (laughs) My life. And he's like, what? (laughs) And the lives of your wise masters. But I also want something in return. You will release every slave in Yunkai. Every man, woman, and child shall be given as much food, clothing, and property as they can carry as payment for their years of servitude. Reject this gift, and I shall show you no mercy. And what's his response to that? He says, you are mad. And that, of course, oh, like means, right. That, of course, means a lot to Danny as her father was called the Mad King, and she—you can see like her, her eye sort of twitches, and she's like, "What the fuck did you call me?" <laughs> right,
3: like the veins start popping out of her neck. She's like, <laughs> her eyes starts twitching. And yeah. She's like, Dracarys.
2: <laughs> yeah, and that's when he, the dragons start getting like pissed off, and she's, you know, they're like kind of threatening back and forth. And the guy says, like, he has friends who would take great pleasure in destroying her. And uh, perhaps we'll make a slave of you as well. Right? And the dragons sort of like growl at that. And he's like, you swore me safe conduct. <laughs> it's another great line. I did. But my dragons made no promises. They
3: made no promises. And you threatened
2: their mother. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great. And movie. I love
3: her face because she's just like, yeah, okay. yeah, That's that's what it is. Not even so, phased.
2: She's like, yeah, I'm just going to tell you how it is basically. Right.
3: Yeah, it's like her, her toot is totally coming out and she's just like, kind of looks at him like, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> so funny. Oh man. So yeah, what a great scene. Anything else you want to add about that?
3: No, I think, I think, you know, again, just, it's definitely another springboard for Danny. Yep. I mean, she's this, this season I feel is like where she kind of, you know, takes some major steps towards the right direction. And I know, I know when she gets to uh, Marine, it kind of was a very frustrating time for a lot of viewers, and I I am one of those people. And <laughs> uh, you know, it just kind of fizzled out for a little bit. And it's really funny because uh, George R R Martin talks about Marine, right? <laughs> and his writing,
2: um, he's a name for he it.
3: Called it. Yeah, the Miranese not.
1: Right, so is what great. he
3: Called it because he wrote himself kind of into a like a corner
2: of <laughs> how yeah. to
3: get her back out of Marine. Yep. Um, without it seeming so like
2: forced, or, yeah. Um,
3: and I love just going back a couple episodes when Tyrion rewards Pod for his service at the Blackwater.
1: Right. Um, oh yeah.
3: One of the one of the horrors he buys. For Padrick, he goes. She's one of the only, uh, only women, you know, <laughs> can that can that can off. do a proper Miranese knot, <laughs> right, right? And that is a total like, coup to George R. R. Martin and the Miranese knot. Yeah, it's so a total I just,
2: meta comment. And I, I think I said yeah, on the podcast that if there are any ladies out there who know how to do a proper Miranese <laughs> knot, too, uh, that would not be me. But you
3: know. <laughs> You know, but it—it's just you—you you feel like she's taking two or three steps at a time at this point. Right. And Marine, she kind of is like walking a, you know, walking a straight line. But, um, you know, she really, she really finds her purpose in this scene. She really knows like what what she wants to do while she's conquering. Because it's one thing just to go around and conquer community or conquer kingdoms and just conquer, conquer, conquer. Right. But it's like, why? Why yeah, are yeah. you doing this? this season she really finds her purpose of why she's doing it why am i why am i doing this other than to go home right okay that's that's given that we've known that from the second we've seen
1: her there is
2: a greater purpose
3: there's a greater purpose out there than just to go
2: home right and it seems like season three is sort of the season of the mission statements you know Jon snow realizes that he needs to fight for the realms of men and Needs to fight for the living. Daenerys realizes that she needs to fight for justice and for freedom. And uh, these main characters, both our ice and our fire, are, um, you know, developing their mission statements and coming to find out who they really are and what they really fight for and where they stand. And this is the critical season for that.
3: I totally agree. Love it. So that was kind of my number three as well. So I think that was your number four, right?
2: Uh, yeah, I just have one thing to add, which is a question. When when the guy says um, that they have these strong, powerful allies who would love to take a crack at Danny, basically, who do you think he was talking about?
3: I think he was talking about um, the Second Sons.
2: The, uh, you mean the Sons of the Harpy? No, I
3: think he was oh, talking about the Second, about second sons. sons. Okay, the right, 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 right. Like Dario Naharis.
2: <clears throat> oh, okay.
3: Because um, the reason I think that is because when he leaves, she turns to Jorah or Barriss, I can't remember. And she goes, he said he had powerful friends.
1: Who? Who was
3: he talking about? And, you know, they kind of shake their head, and she goes, find out. And then one of the next, I think it's the next episode. Yeah, it's called Second sure. Sons. Yeah, yeah. Um, when they're kind of, like, hiding behind that rock, and they're looking at them, and Jorah's saying, like, oh, they're called the Second Sons, you know, they're swords." They um, you know, don't like to break their contracts. So I think that's who he's
2: oh.
3: talking about. Yeah, it
2: must
1: be.
3: But you make a really good point that maybe it is Sons of the Harpy too because, because I know Astapor, they kind of fund the Sons of the Harpy, but I feel like the Sons of the Harpy don't exist at this
1: point. Right,
2: yeah, they I may feel have like they developed are created in response
3: in response to when she takes over Marine.
2: right yeah you, i think you're right about that so yeah you're probably right the second sons we'll go with that i think that's a good explanation and she ends up winning them to her side through exactly. dario who slays his uh, compadre rulers <laughs> in pretty epic fashion
3: uh totally <laughs> yeah
2: cool okay so second sons we we have it nailed um yeah. so whose turn is it i've sort of lost track here
3: it's your... So I was supposed to go with my number three, but that was my number three. So I think we're on your number three. Okay.
2: So my number three is what I call the tragedy of ice and fire. The the cool. wolf and the wildling. Jon Snow and Negrit.
3: Okay.
2: Um, and it just, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff with them, but there's also a lot of sad stuff with them in this episode. And um, it starts off with... Blue Skies, the episode, the first shot of the episode, Blue Skies, as John and the Wildlings head south of the wall. And Igret uh, is sort of mocking John and the Southerners. Is that how you lot do your fighting? You march down the road banging drums and waving banners? <laughs> it's just like, most of the time, yeah. <laughs> and she's laughing about the the drums.
3: Like, that's
2: fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah. He's like, the drummers, is, is that a great honor too? And he's like, usually it's the young boys banging the drums. She's like, S- so what good are they? And he's like, they help the men march. And she doesn't get it. She's like, what? He's like, it's the rhythm, you know? And she's like, oh, you mean right foot, left foot? But you don't foot, know how to right walk? Foot, left. <laughs> <laughs> you need help remembering that? Yeah, you don't know how to walk. <laughs> and I just love her attitude. So condescending and just like thinking it's all such a joke and uh just two totally different perspectives on reality and information bases and just sets of customs and traditions and
3: well, like the windmill is a great example of that cuz she's like holy crap right. like that's like that takes a lot to do like stack is that a castle yeah like stack stones that high and Jon snow is like dude it's a windmill <laughs> it's like we've
2: castles at winterfell <laughs> three times that size i'm like john no, you have castles at Winterfell 300 times that size, you know, like right? huge. Not I mean, th- not 300, probably 30, you know, like massive, massive towers at Winterfell. It's supposed to be a huge castle, Winterfell. Uh, it's, it's sort of understated on the show, but it's like Winterfell is massive. Harrenhal is massive. Storm's End is like mo- has monstrous walls. Um,
3: I'm kind of hoping we get to see Storms End in season eight. Yeah, I would love that. I, like, I feel like we got kind of glimpse of High Garden. We got glimpse of Castly Rock. I, I feel like
2: we need to see I'm it at least.
3: Storms end. Yeah, I'm just and I, I think Gendry. Gendry. I have, I have my, I have my prediction.
2: He's gonna sit there. I think he's gonna be
3: like issued a royal decree.
2: Yeah, he's gonna earn that.
3: Yeah. So, anyways. Total sidebar, but going back to, um, Ingrid and, and John, I, I loved the line when she says, if we die, we die, but first we'll
2: live. Right, such a powerful moment.
3: Ah, uh, it's such a great line. I, I'm not really a huge fan of Ingrid. Um, I find her kind of immature. Sure. And hard yeah. To, I'm not the biggest degree to watch. Either. Um, I, I love that they're together in real life. I think they make a darling couple, uh, <laughs> you know. But mm. and I, I, I see that the chemistry is there on on set and in the in the scenes that they're together. So <laughs> it works for me. And I think if they didn't have that real chemistry outside the show, it wouldn't work for me in the show. Oh right, yeah. You know, and she's like, oh, swooning, oh, save me, Jon Snow. And she, like, you know, falls and back, like,
2: trust falls onto him. She's like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know,
3: spider,
2: Jon Snow, save me. <laughs> yeah,
3: because she's like, she doesn't know what swooning is. She doesn't know what fainting is. But then all of a sudden she knows, like, what it looks like and how to do it. Right, right. <laughs> so,
2: <laughs> Yeah, that was great. Um, <laughs>
3: but, you know, I, I think, like you said, they're a great contrast to each other because they grew up in such different parts of the world that maybe that immaturity comes with the freedom of not having the pressures that John did. Right. So, you know, there's a balance there. I mean, I don't, there's other characters. I can't stand worse than her, but
2: there it's funny there. They are, they are, are the most glaring and first, like, initial example of ice and fire that we get. You know, John on, on totally. its face representing ice through, like, the this, this, this Starks of their sword ice and coming from the north, and Egret being kissed by fire. But then, if you look even closer, they're both examples themselves of being an amalgamation each of them of ice and fire john Absolutely. has a, the dragon blood mixed with the the stark blood so he's ice and fire and then aigris kissed by fire but she comes from the frozen north the embodiment frozen. of ice yep. so they're both like ice and fire and then together they're ice and fire and and i consider them to be like the tragedy of ice and fire <laughs> like i like i saw yeah said, you know, it's
3: true Good, good point on that. That's totally true.
2: Yeah, we sort of get our first taste of it this episode uh, later on at uh, that scene we were just talking about. But uh, I guess bef- before we get to that, there's a couple other little things. Uh, we get <laughs> we get tormented. <laughs> who's just being hilarious talking about how men fucking like dogs and like just being like beasts and <laughs> like savage oh and like, not being like, <laughs> you know you need to take your time with her. And like your cock shouldn't go anywhere near her until she's as slick as a baby seal. I'm <laughs> like <laughs> dying laughing. Tormund could, could do anything and I'd laugh my ass off. Cause that guy is just amazing. Basically.
3: He's one of my favorite characters.
2: Yeah. And, uh, we get our, our first hint that Aurel is in love with Igrit when he tells John, you know, during that speech you mentioned where he says, people work together when it suits them. They're loyal when it suits them Uh, and they'll kill each other when it suits them. She knows that you don't, which is why you'll never hold on to her. And he sort of storms off and John kind of like looks after him like, what is, is he into my girl? He's into my girl. Yeah, totally. (laughs) And then, you know,
3: I found, um, I found you know it's funny that the the episode is called the bear and the maiden fair because if you actually like read the lyrics of the song it's like kind of a dirty
1: song yeah yeah yeah
3: um and there's mm-hmm. a lot of like sexual reference like scattered throughout this entire episode i mean like rob stark with his um wife telessa they're they're doing the nasty you know torment with his lovely representation of what <laughs> that's all about you know there's There's just a few, like, (laughs) there were some other ones that I wrote down, um, you know, just like kind of sexual references kind of throughout the whole episode itself. So, you know, while it's a, I mean, if if you read the lyrics,
1: it's pretty body. I mean, (laughs)
3: it's pretty bad. Um, So I, I found that moment. Because I know, and I don't want to go too spoilery for the books, and I, I've done a lot of research on the books, even though I haven't read all of them,
1: Ooh.
3: is Tormund was su- supposedly like, he was, you know, like, had sex with a bear. Right, that, he
2: talks about that so, on the show, so that's fair game.
3: Yeah, okay, okay, great. Um, I couldn't remember, so I was, like, <laughs> kind of stepping lightly, but, you know, like, the bear and the maiden fair. I always kind of think of, like, Tormund when that song comes on, along with Brienne, but you know
2: yeah on the show it's like you never fucked a bear tormund i know
3: and i don't want to think about the bear you never (laughs) fucked
2: right
1: so great
3: so it's um you know it's it's a little running theme throughout this episode that i found and tormund in this scene kind of reminded me of that and i was like oh yeah this episode is called the bear and the maiden fair so
2: just for anybody uh, listening, in, our, in our, my Still Smug episode from over the summer where I covered the episode where um, where something happens and they're talking about Torment and the bear, but I, I read a segment from the books in a Torment voice, and I'm pretty proud of it. You guys should go listen to it. It's pretty cool. I, I've
3: listened to it. I've listened to your Still Smug book talks. I, oh, I am... I try to avoid show spoilers, but when it comes to the
2: book, you don't mind as much.
3: I actually kind of enjoy the spoilers because it enhances my reading of Right. Like cuz then I pick up on things that maybe I wouldn't
1: have Oh up
2: yeah, on. that's what yeah, I love that having like the book information and watching the show you'll pick up on all these tiny details that you wouldn't necessarily pick up Yeah,
3: on. and I try to not like spoil it to the point where it's like, well, why even read the book?
1: <laughs> but
3: I, I just, I just know enough about the writing and George R. R. Martin. It kind of propels me through the through the books because reading is not my greatest pastime.
2: Neither is mine.
3: <laughs> but I've made a vow to myself and a promise that I will read the entire series along with like all of the other. You have
2: to. I mean, there's no other choice. And
3: historicals. Right. And you're still smug. You're still smug book talk. That's <laughs> kind of what did it for me. I was like, God, I really, really need to read the series. Cause I really want to read the novellas. I really want to do.
1: the Yeah.
2: Uh,
3: but I want to read the series first before I do yep, it. I did too. Um, so, That's kind of my
2: goal. The whole point of this podcast is because I want to enrich your life. I want to bring some entertainment to you and something that you're going to enjoy. And one way that I can do that is by helping you guys get started on the books for free. So if you're interested in that, all you got to do right now is go to to audibletrial.com slash G Won't cost you a penny. Um, Sign up for a free trial. You get a free book. You get to keep it. Download Game of Thrones book one, A Game of Thrones of A Song of Ice and Fire. You will not regret it. And then I can also email you a book, another book for free, um, which is like my favorite thing to do. I, like, please email me so I can. You
3: gave me one. I'm super excited.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Please email me so I can send you a free uh, book. I could send you the, the novellas, the Duncan Egg novellas. I could send you one of the, the five books. Um, right now, I don't have access to, two, to book one and two because I sent too many already, but I'm figuring out a workaround so that I can send you guys those again. Um, but yeah, just get into it. Send me an email, go to the, get your free trial. Do it. Um, you're, you you will not regret it.
1: Do it, yeah. do it, do so it. So where are
2: we? What do we got?
1: Yeah.
3: So we're on your number three. Right.
2: So, uh, Torment's being bawdy and ridiculous. And this is, uh, when, when Aurel confronts a himself and, and talks to her and, and he basically is telling her that, you know, like what the hell are you doing with John? Like, you know if 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 you were mine i'd treat you well i'd tell you you're beautiful and fierce and wild and and i'd be good to you and he says you love him and she's sort of like she's sort of shocked into silence and she just sort of nods and it's a really like sad moment where i feel really sympathetic for Aurel, where he like he says because he's pretty is that it you like his pretty hair yes. and his pretty eyes <laughs> I think pretty is going to make you happy, and it like feel. I feel bad for him, you know, because it's like it sucks to be in that position. Like, um, it totally does, you know. And I mean, he's. I know,
3: and he seems like a good guy too. I mean,
2: to to some extent. I mean, he did. Yeah, I tried to kill him last time. (laughs) But
3: you know, but like to his point, (laughs) he was like, "Do you see her like wigging out about it? No, because she knows how it is. Yeah,
1: like
3: get that chip off your shoulder, dude, because in our world." She's not insulted by that. Right. She knew that
2: someone it needs had to, to survive. Be done.
3: It, it's survival, right? So I don't know why you're like, you know, puffing up at me <laughs> when your girl over there is like, whatever, yep. you know. So I think, I think he has a good heart, and I, I think if I'm not mistaken, his character is a little bit more developed in the books. You get a little bit more information.
2: On I believe him. so. Yeah. And he's he's not hideous, you know. He's not like a horrible looking no, guy or anything. you know where I he's thing. from. Pirates, from of, the Pirates of the Caribbean. Fuck yeah! He's got that fucking fork sticking out of his wooden eye. Yes, <laughs> I know. Eyes. Every time I see him, I think about that. He's a good actor. For <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah. He was one of my favorites from Pirates of the Caribbean. I too, love that so movie. I so didn't I really, really love like
3: the sequels, but the first one, Johnny Depp.
2: Same here, Jack I, Sparrow. Yeah, I haven't oh, kept up, but yeah, it. I love Johnny. Love Johnny Depp. He's one of my favorite actors. And, love his Hunter S. Thompson, you know, as well. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I felt bad for him there. And um, she, uh, you know, he tells her, you won't love him when you find out what he really is. And dun, 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 Foreshadowing. But then it cuts to the next scene um, where it's them talking together and John underestimates her bow skills, which kind of like makes her smile like, oh, silly southerner. And boom, nails that deer from a million miles away.
3: Yeah, and she's like a total prodigy with right. the bow and
2: arrow. Yeah, it was it Tormund says, "I've seen you put it a put a shaft through a rabbit's eye at two hundred yards. If you didn't hit Jon Snow in the heart, it's because you didn't want to, right?"
3: Exactly, so gonna,
2: and she's like, "Damn it!" Damn it, he knows me too well. <laughs> so this is when she sees the the windmill palace. Is that a palace? <laughs> <And> you know, <laughs> it's the like, like, windmill. You're so silly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a windmill, babe. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, Oral had that funny moment too Where he says, I've he- heard you two whispering at night Giggling like little girls Which I thought was funny um, So, Oh, young love <laughs> Yeah, so uh, this is where sad- Sadness sort of comes And Igret sort of goes on a tirade Where, she, you know, he's, John's like I'd like to see you in a silk dress Would you? So I could tear it off you, you know. And she's like, Jeremy's oh.
3: silk dress, I'll blacken your <laughs> eye. Black,
2: yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> Maybe one day that. I'll take you to Winterfell, he says. Maybe one day I'll take you there after we take our land back. And uh Igrit you won't you won't win, right? And she's she starts to go on her little rant. I know your people are brave. No one denies that. Or no, he says that, and then she says, "You know nothing." And he cuts her off six times in the last thousand years. A king beyond the wall has attacked the kingdoms, and this is where like the dose of reality and the the future, like the hint of future tragedy, comes into play for the first time, like really, because I mean, up until this point, you don't really know what's going on. But Jon Snow lays it out. You know, he he refers to the wildlings as you. As opposed to exactly. us, exactly.
3: It's a foreshadow which,
2: uh, for sure. You know, and uh, it, it's even even our boy Orel's line. Um, they'll uh, they'll they love each other when it suits them. You know, they're loyal when it suits them. Yeah, um, foreshadows John running off in a few episodes. Totally, it's,
3: it absolutely does. Good call.
2: Sadly, so uh, yeah, it's just really really sad because you know they they really like each other. You know, John broke his vows for her like risked risked creating a bastard for her you know cuz he loves her and he he like they really do love each other you know so just like the way that it turns out when even you know when when duty supersedes love um it's just really sad and you know there's the whole thing the concept of love being the death of duty that maester amon brings up and it's sort of a recurring theme in this case uh duty is the death of love
3: it totally is i was just gonna say it's kind of the reversal of
2: what Maester amon tells right tells john and uh it's it's the same sort of thing too like um you know he said that you know <laughs> that ned stark would be one in ten thousand men you know with his ability to do what's right under no matter what right and Jon Snow is sort of one in 10,000 men here as well. You know, ninety-nine nine thousand 9,999 of those men would would be consumed by love and it would be the death of their duty and they would, you know, like the Night King, for instance, uh, or the, the character in the book, I should say, the 13th Lord Commander who is seduced by a, a, a woman beyond the wall. And, and uh, Jon Snow manages to override the the most the singular most powerful emotion love uh, to retain his sense to sense of duty in the circumstances and it's it's just sad you know i keep saying and that. it really I don't shows know that he's it.
3: a true stark i
1: mean <laughs> yeah that,
3: that you know that sense of honor and that sense of duty i mean even though ned is not truly his father i mean ned's blood does run through his veins va- 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 right. just through his
2: sister Liana. Right. Ned sacrifices the love of, of Kat for the duty of protecting John. Exactly. You know?
3: Exactly. That's exactly where I was going with that. It's like these Stark men, they they do what they need to do, even if it costs them their lives.
2: Yeah. And going back to John's comment about how it's an honor to hold the banner, you know, just this single act, yeah. just this single act is John holding the, the Stark banner essentially by, by, Sticking to his guns and his duty in yeah, the, and in the I face find it of temptation. Super,
3: um, I find it super interesting because in season seven, when he actually starts wearing the Stark Sigil on his armor.
2: That's true. Yeah.
3: And I thought about that when he said it's a great honor to carry your house's sigil because right. he's not a legitimized.
2: It's when. Uh, um, yeah, he's not a legitimized. Oh, my God, Stark. there's a
4: huge bug. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, Spider, save me, Jon <laughs> <Sorry>. Snow. <laughs>
3: One second. save me
2: sir duncan
4: <laughs> oh i
2: lost it oh that's even worse okay anyways <laughs> back to the show save me sir <laughs> duncan save me a spider, There's a
1: spider.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: my dress is made of the purest silk from tra la <laughs> <laughs> oh man so yeah it's just uh you know he's carrying no, this dark banner here um yeah
3: it's so true it's Oh, what you're uh, saying
2: is uh, he started wearing the Stark sigil, and that was, you're you're right, it was after Sansa gifted him with that ability. She gave him that that northern-style cloak that, yeah, that she modeled after their fathers, and it had the Stark sigil on it, and he was like, you know, kind of, like, uh, it hit him, and she was like, you are a Stark, you know, like, wear it. You're one of us, you know, and it was like a huge moment for him. Like, he was finally given the banner by the head of the house. You know what I mean?
3: Exactly. And, and when he goes and oh, to see
2: Danny, his,
3: uh, he's
2: displaying it. His breastplate. Uh, ever so
3: proudly. Uh, has the stark sigils, the, uh, the wolves, the dire
2: wolves. Right over his heart. Yep.
3: Right over his heart. So I just thought, and it's, it's ironic because there's several moments in when he's wearing that armor when he says, Well, I'm not a star," and I'm like, Well, you're wearing the sigil, so <laughs> you totally
2: are. <laughs> uh, he says that so many times either I'm a bastard or I'm not a stock. <laughs> not a stock. It's <laughs> like his catchphrase. Like, yes you are. So classic. So yeah, it pretty much ends with the with you know, him saying that. You don't have the discipline. You don't have the training. Your army is no army. You don't ha- you don't know how to fight together. And she's like, you don't know that. He's like, I do. You know, I know it. We, I grew up being trained in this. Like, I can just, I can see. All the kids in the north know it. Yeah, every boy, every boy in the north knows this. If you attack the wall, you'll die, all of you. And she says, all of us. And for some reason this prompts her to voraciously start macking on him and <laughs> making out with him. And then that's when your that line that you brought up. She knows
3: up, he's she's losing him.
2: Oh, uh, so she, she
3: knows was, deep down because even before they climb the wall and she's like, I'm your woman now. You're going to be loyal to your woman.
1: Right. Like she
3: knows that he's an honorable guy. He's, she knows who Ned Stark is.
1: He's
2: got
3: because when she
2: Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say he's facing temptation from both sides here, essentially.
3: Exactly. And she knows who Ned Stark is because when right. she introduces him to Mance, and she goes, this is Ned Stark's bastard. Right. And she knows the Stark name. She knows
2: His what reputation.
3: He's so she knows that she's battling a, a, a man that took a vow to not love, to not lay with a woman, to not have that type of
2: relationship. She needs to keep fighting him exactly she she uses her girlish wiles to convince him to stick with her for a little bit longer (laughs) like
3: what does cersei say the the best weapon is between
2: your legs the one between your legs right um and yeah so this is the point where that little little line by a grit that you liked so much you mentioned earlier came up where she basically recites the wedding the wedding vows right your mind as i'm yours yes and if we if we die we die but first we'll live and he agrees yes first will live and uh just the tragedy of John and a grit man you know
3: yeah no that's a great one that's a great number that was your number three number
2: two yeah my number three
3: number three yeah that was that's a good one
2: that's that really just so sad man
3: it is sad um because you know, I think
2: he truly loves her, right? And I'm a, like a romantic at heart, you know, as, <laughs> as 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 much as a big mean monster as I am as well. You know, <laughs> I'm a fucking sucker for for a uh, romance, you could say, or romantic type of
3: uh, It got you stoned,
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like this stuff hurts me, you know, <laughs> to see it. Like I feel the pain. Yeah. I'm totally an empath where I can like feel like pain of people and even people who don't really exist apparently you know but like it hurts you know but,
3: you know in a way they kind of do exist because they are together in real, real life, life. Right. and that's what i go back to this. the chemistry they have on set together is tangible because it's it's real right. it is a real chemistry that's occurring between two human beings who not like really characters in yeah. the show but human beings and
2: you feel it yeah, and they do love each you feel other the
3: way they look at each other like when he pulls her in to give her a kiss
2: mm-hmm. like
3: in that scene it's so real because
2: because it is to kiss
3: her. <laughs> yeah. so it's great that's that was a great one good job
2: thanks what do you got for us next what is it your number
3: i think it's my number two all right so mine is brianne and bert the bear
2: all oh, right cool
3: So some cool facts um, Bert? <laughs> the Bert. the bear is named Bert. Nice. The bear's trainer, so Bert's trainer is like this big man, and he plays Brianne's double.
2: No way. The scene.
3: And there when Cause Bert hits Brianne.
2: Right. Like, I was awesome, wondering about that. It looks like that's they're like really together there. And I'm like, how did they film C. this? C. Wow.
3: Yeah, Thank you so much for not telling C. me that. That is his trainer um, getting hit by Bert. And the scenes with Brianne in the pit with the bear are not CGI'd either. She's actually in the pit with Bert.
2: That's so cool. I really was and wondering about that. And a trained
3: bear. And so all of the people above the pit were not there. There were the trainer. Right, you don't want to distract couple. the bear. Yeah, and every time the bear did something right, everyone had to give him applause. <laughs> like, oh, yay! Good job,
1: Bert! He's like, so it took a
3: while <laughs> to film, but um, been so much there was fun, an though. interview with Brienne um, with um, Gwendolyn Christie, and she was saying that that was like her favorite scene to shoot ever because she literally was in the pit with the bear. Wow. And Just the whole experience of every time, like when he would paw the ground or when he ripped the sword or when he started, when he got shot with the arrow and, you know, started like swaying side to side. Those are all tricks that the bear knows how to do. They had to like stop production and like praise the bear and then go back (laughs) to like what they were doing. That's so cool. Um, And they were originally going to CGI for hitting Brianne. And the trainer decided to step in and he goes, No, I'll get in the dress. I'll put on a wig and I'll do it. Wow. Um, so he actually gets hit by Bert. And Brianne said, I keep calling her Brianne, but Gwendolyn Christie <laughs> said, You know, Captain he got Fazle. hit like really hard <laughs> a few times. And, a whole bunch um, of times. It was great. So I think I have a love for the scene after hearing that.
2: That just makes it all the more um, intense knowing because that it's it real. Was real.
3: Yeah. yeah. And. You know, obviously, this is the scene where the episode is named after, and and it goes back to, like, when um, Jamie and Brienne are first taken captive by Locke, and they're, like, walking down the trail, and Locke's men are singing The Bear, The Bear, and The Maiden (laughs) Fair. Right. Um, So it's kind of, like, kind of, like, ties it all together. You know, Brienne and Jamie were so at odds at that point when they were singing that song. And then through their captivity, they became kind of closer together. Yeah. And um, I love the scene, which kind of ties into my number two. It's not the same scene as Brienne, like physically in the pit, but when Jamie is talking to Kyburn, and Kyburn goes, well, how many men have you killed, my lord? And million. Jamie goes, Countless. How oh, many have you saved? saved right. Half a million, the population of King's Landing. And there's no
2: follow up question? Kyburn's like, uh, yeah, you want to explain that?
1: That's <laughs> quite the claim, which is buddy. It's a total,
3: you know, like hint of, you know, when he stabbed the Mad King in the back. Right. But I felt that that dialogue between him and Kyburn, you know, saying that Brienne would be their entertainment for the <clears end>, then, <throat> you know, who really cares what happens to her after, you know, it just continues to propel Jamie's regrowth as a character Yep. Um, into becoming a more honorable man. From, from the viewer's perspective, because while he did something honorable by killing the king, saving half a million lives, I mean he did throw a ten-year-old out the window. <laughs> I can't forget that. <laughs> and I always like remember that about him. It's like you're such an asshole, but it's hard to not start liking him at this point.
2: The things we exactly. do for love.
3: Exactly. And so and he turns around and he goes to the guard, he's like, I could tell my father that you're the one that cut my hand off, or I can and save my life, we're going back to Heron Hall. Right. And he saves Brianne. So I think that whole kind of scene in general I kind of clumped together as my number my number two. Um, because again it just shows the impact that Brianne's loyalty and her ability to keep her oaths had on Jamie. Yep. To the fact where he would go back yeah. and save her life. And my favorite part of this whole scene was, you know, Log is like, what the fuck are you doing to my back? <laughs> and, you know, and Jamie's like, get her out of there. You know, what's more important, you know, returning Tywin Lannister's son unharmed? And what initially got Jamie's hand cut off in the first place is his final blow to finally beat lock
1: right but yeah he never oh. really
3: learned his lesson and At Locke <laughs> never really got what he wanted either
2: yeah. because, sorry about those sapphires bro yeah
3: like sorry about those sapphires and you know jamie used his father's name to get out of it once again and poor Locke, not poor oh, Locke, yep. but Ooh, say daddy's name God damn it like i can't hurt him because He's
2: right, yeah, I I'm so not protected to that level. <laughs>
3: Bolton is gonna pet me if I like do anything, Jamie Lannister. Yep, so what Locke cut Jamie's hand off for you know, my father, you always hide behind my father, Just you know, here, say this will help me remember. Name. And then, you know, in this scene, when it's finally kind of like the last duel between the two characters, Jamie wins by saying. You can't do anything to me because of my father.
1: <laughs> and I just oh, found that irony. so
3: like a full circle a total, a full of circle. their experience. Total full together.
1: circle. That's
2: hilarious. So, oh my that's, god.
3: That's my number two. That's
2: great. And um, since we mentioned Jamie uh, pushing Bran out the window, there's that's an example of him succumbing to love over duty. Uh, you know, his duty to protect the innocent uh, as a knight. So that shows him uh, being less of a man than John, who's over to, <laughs> able to overcome that, uh, essentially that totally. temptation of love. And yeah. There's an... Good
3: point. Good connection.
2: So my number one is... Uh, Wait,
3: are you on number two or number
2: one? My number two was the Royal Bastard Revelation.
3: Oh, okay, that's right.
2: Okay. <laughs> and your number one was one we already covered as well, I believe. Correct. Right? So my number one is the Ballad of Jamie and Brienne sort of fitting oh. right into what we were talking about a second ago so it's just a really important episode for the both of them obviously <laughs> um it's, the first we see is them talking together as Jamie comes in and she says you know I thought you were gone and he says tomorrow and uh she asks if he knows what they're planning to do with her and it's it's you know pretty, pretty fucked up he's uh He says Lord Bolton's traveling tomorrow as well. He's heading to the twins for Edmure Tully's wedding. So a little bit of foreshadowing about that whole event. You're to remain here with Locke. And uh, he tells her I owe you a debt. Which is, you know, the Lannisters pay their debts. Right? So very in character but also at the same time very out of character by, uh, you know, just him caring at all about Brienne, essentially. So She says, um, you know, he says, when Catelyn, she says, when Catelyn Stark released you, we made a promise. We both made a promise to her. Now it's your promise. You gave your word. Keep it and consider the debt paid. And he steps up and this is Jamie full on announcing his intention to embark on his redemption arc. (laughs) This is like literally, I will return the Stark girls to their mother. I swear it. (laughs) He literally announces. I'm and you really done.
3: believe him. Yeah. You really believe him in that moment because he yep. really is a changed person.
2: After the bathhouse, everything's different for Jamie. Completely. You know, everything is everything is changed after the bathhouse. Uh, that was like his moment of catharsis or something. And <laughs> and he's a new man at this point. Um
3: Yes, yes.
2: So next we see Kai helping Jamie with his saddle. And um, he says to uh as he gets on the horse and they prepare to leave, Kyburn um, Kyburn <laughs> someone says, Kyburn hopes your father will force the Citadel to give him back his chain. And he has a funny line where he says, my father will make him grand maester if he grows me a new hand. <laughs> that was pretty great. <laughs> um, and uh, Which
3: he very well may be able to do. <laughs> right.
2: So as Bolton... Um, departs, you know, he's still trying to play his cards with Jaime and make sure that Jaime doesn't throw him under the bus, basically. So he's like, you will give my regards to Lord Tywin, I trust? Right? And Jaime sort of nods and says, tell Rob Stark I'm sorry I couldn't make his uncle's wedding. The Lannisters send their regards.
3: Now that is a foreshadow. That
2: is a big foreshadow, and we get that line repeated verbatim uh, next episode, I believe, by Bolton
3: it's in reigns of cast oh yeah yeah
2: yeah. sorry red i keep wedding. thinking that that's yeah, the next when, one
3: <laughs> no there's one more in between that's why I, I was saying like this you know while there's been kind of hints the past i would say three or four episodes there's been like small little trickles of foreshadowing to the red wedding yep to me this episode was kind of like when you're getting on the freeway like the first three episodes you know, you're kind of turning the corner to get on the freeway. Mm-hmm. This one is like where you can start kind of accelerating.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, definitely. You know,
3: you're accelerating towards like getting up to speed to the Red Wedding. There's yep. a lot of foreshadowing in this whole episode. And that line to me, I was like, it kind of gave me goosebumps because I was like, ooh,
2: that's oh, it's such a exactly dirty what line. Lauren Bolton
3: said when he stabbed Rob Stark in the heart. So, yeah, next, uh,
2: it's... You know, they're about to embark and um, Jamie ends up, you know, seeing Locke as they're riding out, basically. He says, safe journey, Kingslayer. You know, nothing to say. (laughs) I liked you better before. I don't remember chopping your balls off, too. (laughs)
3: he's such an asshole such an asshole <laughs>
2: but like he's talking about chopping balls off in the same episode where that probably happens to Theon it
1: does <laughs> it yes. sucks
2: oh man but that was just a funny line I don't remember chopping your balls off too it reminds me of that line from the the dark night where the Joker's sitting around he was at the table when he does the magic trick you know and everybody oh were, yeah. I mean, yeah what happened your balls drop off <laughs> <You know>? yes
3: <laughs> yes it's, it's been so long since I've seen that movie, but yes <laughs>
2: I remember uh, that cracks me up any like oh, joker hey, reference sir. i'm all over that yeah man the, the first time i
3: fell in love with heath ledger was in a Night's
2: tale i still oh. haven't seen that i gotta go watch that
3: oh my I know, gosh i know
2: okay. i saw part of it and i was you would like, really
3: like it yeah it's i saw part kind of, of it i've been
2: meaning to go back
3: like
2: medieval yeah, and, yeah.
3: <laughs> and has, they play like rock and roll songs in it it's <laughs> kind of quirky yeah. it's I mean, it's a cheesy love story, but Heath Ledger is great in it. Yeah. It's very quirky, and it's a really good movie. You know who else is in that movie? Robert the guy Baratheon. Who plays Robert Baratheon. Yep.
2: Yeah, he's a, uh, yeah, Mark Addy is his name.
3: Mark Addy. Great yes, actor. He's
2: really famous British great. comedian.
3: I love him. Yeah, me I, too. I love, uh, God, I was so sad when he died because I love yep. Robert Brathy. Yeah.
2: Not the best show in the world, but there's another. It's another. I do love it. It's a fun show called Atlantis. It was on BBC, I believe, or BBC America, and it's it's got uh, Robert Brathy in it. This actor, Mark Addy, playing Hercules.
1: Ooh, if you can believe it, but he, ooh, he doesn't. He
2: doesn't live up to the myth, you know. <laughs> type thing.
1: Okay, <laughs> it's yeah.
2: fucking great. Um, but yeah, anything with Mark Addy, I definitely recommend watching. He's he's a really funny guy, man. You don't get to see him like he super laughed. funny in game of thrones but he is known as being a comedian um m- most of all i believe so yeah uh, he's
3: just like such a jolly happy like loud yeah
2: i felt the essence of robert baratheon when that music came into the picture with gendry earlier in this episode so that was really cool uh um, yeah so uh kyburn is you know checking out um jamie's hand and jamie's like well you know you're much better at this than uh maester pycelle and he's like faint praise my lord <laughs>
3: yeah yeah
2: so he's like why decided they take your chain you fondle one too many boys you know <laughs> no my lord not that's not my weakness uh what is and so we get the cool you know the scary intriguing kyburn backstory where it turns out that kyburn Uh, basically decided to cut open the living to study the afflicted, to learn how to uh, save people and whatnot. Um, He sort of reminded me of of Ben Franklin in this moment. I mean, Ben Franklin didn't do it with, with living people as far as I know, but after they excavated Benjamin Franklin's old house in Virginia or whatever, they found something like 13 or 30 bodies buried beneath it. Did you know that?
3: No, that's kind of creepy. No, I did
2: not. That's creepy. It is creepy. But it's because he would, like, essentially obtain cadavers from hospitals uh, to uh, do anatomy studies, essentially. (laughs) But, yeah, pretty creepy, right? Google that. Ben Franklin bodies. Uh, I'm sure you'll find something. Okay. (laughs) So they go on, and he... He basically asks about, you know, get if, if he got a bird off to Brienne's father uh, in Tarth. Bird flew off, bird flew back. Lord Selwyn Tarth offered 300 gold dragons for his daughter's safe return. That's a fair offer, you know, a fair offer, but Locke won't take it. Why not? He's convinced Lord Tarth owns all the sapphire mines in Westeros. He feels he's being Jamie's cheated. Like, and there what? we go, full circle <laughs> back again, because it's Jamie who created this problem. And he says, they'd be fools to kill her. He says these men have been at war for a long time. Most of them will be dead by winter. She'll be their entertainment tonight. Beyond that, I don't. I don't think they care very much, you know. And Jamie changes course with no hesitation whatsoever. It's it. He takes a, a second in his mind just to create the plan, and then acts instantly. He he walks away from Kyburn, goes right to the guy in control, and is like, listen, we're going back. There is no hesitation. He is one hundred percent devoted to to saving brienne no question whatsoever his his resolve is resolute you know what i mean like i was just very impressed by uh the the absolute lack of or the just the complete totality of his resolve you could say like
3: exactly like you said earlier like this is where his you know kind of his, the new arc of his character, yeah. like it's kind of like slingshots into orbit at this moment. This is the, yeah, this is the, the moment. Like, I know what I need to do because leaving her there was wrong. And right. I think he kind of knew it in his mind when Bolton told him that Brienne was
2: staying
1: there. Yeah. Kind of
2: like, he, Oh, uh,
3: I, I'm afraid I'll we'll take good care then,
2: of her. Don't worry.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah. And he kind of like left anyways. And I think in at silence. that moment, he's still kind of struggling And like you just said, when he just goes without hesitation, that's like his, his retribution arc is now in orbit. He knows the direction and the path that he needs to follow moving forward. And he kind of continues that arc throughout the rest of the
2: series. Yeah, he does. From this point on, he basically does what he thinks is right. Um, Except for, you know, maybe one or two things when he's under the influence of Cersei. But uh, he goes up to that guy, and he's like, we have to return to Harrenhal. The guy's like, why? He's like, I've left something behind. <laughs> I thought that was yeah, a great little line. Yeah, there. I
3: thought that was really sweet. Like, even they he called her something and not, like, I left her behind. But, you know, it was just like.
2: He didn't want to give away what the, what the mission was.
3: Exactly. But it's,
2: the fact that, you know, he left a piece of his duty behind, you know, or like a piece of his honor behind. Something important, you know. of important. Exactly. This is the moment where his compass sort of, like, narrows in on the direction.
3: Yeah, like, recalibrates itself, yep. and, you know, it's like, I left something behind. I think you could kind of read deeper into it. It's not just Brienne that he left behind, but he, she's the catalyst of his honor. Right. Or, or like, the recalibration of his honor. So and letting her, he letting behind. something bad
2: happen to her would be a representation of a stain on his honor, basically. Completely. You know, he needs to protect Completely. that. Um, it's important. Yes. So I really like that, and that's when he manipulates that guy. He's like, uh, <laughs> When my father sees me, the first thing he's going to ask is, What happened to my hand? And I'm going to tell him this man chopped it off. I had nothing! Or I could tell him this man saved my life.
3: Save my
2: life. We return yeah. to Harrenhal Hall now. You know? Uh, which is and the just guy's a beautiful like, moment. damn it, <laughs> yeah, yep. He's like, fuck, he's got me. <laughs> so they yeah, go back, exactly. um, and then he, you know, he's. You can tell he's not playing games when he's like, he, he's like, you gave her a wooden sword. And he's like, we only got one bear, and he's like, I'll pay her bloody ransom, gold, sapphires, whatever you want. Just get her out of there, you know. And he is not playing at this point. He is hashtag Team Brienne. All the way, he's really? got a t-shirt on under his tunic,, and um, you know, and, uh, you know and he Locke you know sticks with his typical thing. All you lords and ladies still think that the only thing that matters is gold. This makes me happier than all your gold ever could, you know, and that makes me happier than all her sapphires. Um, so, go buy yourself a golden hand and fuck yourself with it. Fuck yourself
1: with
4: it. <laughs> <laughs> Which,
2: oh man, I would love to see the look in his face when he actually sees, if he ever got to see the fact the that he actually hands, does get a right. golden hand.
4: Right? And so. Maybe that's what
3: put the idea in Jamie's head. Well, I know it's gilded steel, but. Right. I think so you know, it was Cersei's
2: it, idea, though, right? She, like, sort of did. And it. She's
3: like, we, we spent a day and a night, and he goes, a day and a night. And she goes, better part of an
2: afternoon, you know. <laughs> bitch <laughs> i love <laughs> yeah.
3: i love that i care i think it's the next episode I, it's coming it's, up it's but pretty that, soon. that scene
2: between the yeah. two funny so funny it's before the red wedding for sure um so
3: it's probably next episode it's just like yeah we
2: we've labored on it a day and a night i think it's probably a, a couple of <laughs> Um, but yeah it's very soon so this is the point where jamie takes a jump and if if he if he we thought he wasn't playing games before when he's like I'll pay whatever the fuck you want just get her out of there just get her out you know this is where we know he's really like not playing any fucking games he jumps in to the bear pit right and with one, with hand. one hand uses his good hand to drag Brienne behind him says get behind me and she's like
3: I will not <laughs> <You know? laughs> she's so stubborn Yeah,
2: and eventually she like you know goes along with it right but like, this is Jamie. Like <laughs> nothing is more important to Jamie than his own life until this moment. He puts himself in between a bear and Brienne the Beauty. You know what I mean? The the hideous monster who he's been poking fun at for their whole journey, you know? And at this point, his position has changed with his respect for her so drastically that he's willing to put his own life on the line literally sacrifice himself to a bear to save Brienne of fucking Tarth as as uh (laughs) as the hound puts it right Brienne of fucking (laughs) Tarth right yeah I know her (laughs) so it's just like I was literally getting a bit emotional at this moment even just saying it because it's just such a powerful character transformation and like what he's willing to sacrifice for her at this point like his everything he's willing to give everything for brienne of fucking tarth you know <laughs> like wow it's, it's true it's just amazing it's
3: because she's i think she's kind of like the physical representation
2: of honor of in general the
3: honor that he wants kind of back or that maybe he's craving back in his
2: life
1: Him. Yeah, like yeah. you
3: said earlier cersei kind of Rips him of yeah, that they're like opposites. Brienne
2: is like the embodiment of pure honor in every way imaginable, and Cersei is just the embodiment of pure She's evil so and manipulation <laughs> and scandal and just disgustingness. And so, like, Jamie is caught right in between these two women who are like total opposites of each other. One is essentially the angel on his shoulder, one's the devil on his shoulder, <laughs> right? Exactly. And he's just struggling to, and eventually, you know, this past season, he says, fuck you, Cersei. I'm out you know and he finally like makes the ultimate decision in his in his um, redemption arc which is to you know take his golden hand and crush that fucking devil on his shoulder with it basically yeah um,
3: I hope he crushes her for
2: real <laughs> yeah <laughs> that'd be funny <laughs> oh man
3: well it is in the prophecy yeah, exactly
2: yeah. <laughs> so if, if Arya were to Don a Jamie face, would it would she appear to have a golden hand? Or or would she I don't know. I I
3: I would she strangle
2: Cersei with both hands and Cersei's like, Oh my god, who are you? My brother has a golden hand (laughs) or would
3: I know, I'm (laughs) curious. That's you know good point You know it. Okay, so this is a total sidebar. When Arya's like sneaking around, or I'm sorry, Sansa's in season seven sneaking around Arya's room and
1: finds all the faces. Yeah. Oh, that's and such one a funny One of the
3: faces moment. that Sansa pulls out of the bag is Walder Frey.
2: <laughs> yeah, it is. It <laughs> is
3: so creepy looking.
2: He's already creepy looking enough, but then when his face is I just know. dangling there, it's like, damn, dude. And oh, I looked at right. it like,
3: it. I was like, oh my God, that's
2: Walder Frey. <laughs> that's so funny. Ah oh, man yeah. how does that work? I mean like we know that you don't necessarily have to be dead for someone to wear your face because Arya sees her own face on the on the on Jockin's dead body or Jockin number random whatever number you know when he kills himself only death can play pay for life and he drinks the poison and Arya starts pulling his faces off and reveals her own face. So does that hint that she has already died at some point? Uh, I don't or, know, or,
3: and I've always wondered, like, because it's not just the face that they put on; it's like the body, right. it's like the persona, it's
2: there's some type it, of glamour I mean, or magic going yeah, on here, you know,
3: like Malisandra,
2: yeah, just with no rubies. It's pretty interesting. <laughs> so uh, he he ends up saving her and using the father leverage over Locke, finally beating him with it, you know, and Locke. Must be so mad to have to submit to Jamie at that moment. Uh, But yeah, that's where the episode ends. That pretty much wraps up my number one. Anything else you want to add or should we move into notes?
3: Uh, The only other thing I wanted to add since it's the very end of the episode is the Reigns of Casimir play in the closing
2: credits. Oh, snap.
3: And, you know, going back to what I've said kind of, 100 times through this episode <laughs> already is, you know, we're gearing up for the Red Wedding. And they're
1: preconditioning and, us.
3: Yeah, we're kind of getting a little bit more preconditioned to the song itself, Reigns of Castamere. The next episode is actually the episode that Cersei um, tells Marjorie um, what the song references,
1: oh, and what it's about,
3: nice. how uh, house rain and um, and then the next episode after that is the Red Wedding, and I believe in the next episode as well we catch Tyrion whistling "Reigns of Castamere" as well. So nice. it's the it's the the directors and the writers kind of preconditioning the viewer to know the song and what it represents. So when it starts to play at the Red Wedding, we, we know hear, that it's not yeah. the right venue for the song right.
2: to be That's great. played Good because call. there's no
3: Lannisters
2: there. Right, they explain to us what the song means the episode beforehand, so then when we hear it, we understand what it connotates, and we immediately, if you're clever enough and paying enough attention, it becomes suspicious. Flew right over my head, you know, every time yeah, we're so it. Yeah,
3: I, so I I, just felt like them playing it at the end credits, you actually get to hear it because it's not being played underneath dialogue right. or underneath, like, a scene you actually just are sitting there listening to the song, and then the next episode you get the explanation of the song, and then the red wedding happens, and you're like, "Oh my god, it's that kind of creepy song. Why is it playing? There's no Lannisters right. here." Right. What the fuck? And you kind of realize something.
2: Yeah, comes. you get that feeling. That same feeling that Kat did, which is like, "Why the fuck are they playing Your this stomach song? Drops. Like this? Yeah. Except yeah. like the fix is in. This is not good. Oh man, that's creepy." yeah yeah so
3: that's that's all i had as far as my one through
2: fives all right (laughs) so let's move on to notes um first of all i you know i take notes like during the whole thing so i wrote a couple little notes that like in the scene where they're talking about how the rain will cost them another day and it seems like mother nature itself is trying to prevent the red wedding from happening (laughs) or at least delay it
3: right um
2: talisa and the blackfish have a pretty funny interaction
3: Oh my god, I love it. I love it. I watch people bleed and die. I'm not
2: afraid of wet shit. <laughs> I've seen wet shits I liked better than Walter. Walter Frey. Apologies to grace. I love how he laughed. Yeah, yeah, I
3: yeah. love how he laughed after she said, like, I'm not afraid of wet shit. He's like, Just oh, he's I see
2: why like, Rob oh, likes her. Oh,
3: I love you. Yeah, he's like, yeah.
2: Rob's got a good eye. You know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so funny. Uh, that was a great moment. And there's like a little bit of foreshadowing that we get where um, you know, Lord Frey will take this as a delay this delay as a slight he can take it as he likes, he's getting the wedding he wanted, he's he's getting a wedding, it was a king he wanted, you know, and that's foreshadowing yeah. that not all is well um, or stating basically that not all is well um, so then uh <laughs> let's get it on you know rob and talisa are doing their thing yeah and uh she's naked and i can't look away and same with rob he's like if you don't put some clothes on i can't promise i won't attack you again she's like attack attack
3: you know yeah
2: and we see her writing in Valyrian, which is really cool and the conspiracy theorists um who thinks she's a spy or their you know their spidey senses are tingling and um he he says does she know her daughter's a queen not yet that will be su- that will be a surprise i expect many surprises for her you know and at that point i'm like oh my god she's pregnant you know yeah <laughs> and rob doesn't quite catch on that quickly uh, but she basically tells him you know i know she'd love to meet you and her grandchild and he's like wait what now <laughs> you know <laughs> are you certain you know and she's like are you angry I with know, me know,
3: it's such a sweet and I think it's kind of funny that she says, like, are you angry with yeah. me? Yeah. Because it's like, after, you know, telling my husband when I found out I was pregnant, you know, it's like, I never thought that he would be angry with me. Right. <laughs> it was more like, oh, my God, like, what are we going to do? <laughs> <laughs> right. <That's> funny. <laughs> but not so much like, are you angry with me? So I thought, you know, and then I, I kind of like pondered on that thought as. You know, because it may not have been the best timing because of the war.
0: Um, right. I think oh, maybe that's maybe,
3: yeah. a place where she's coming from. Not that he would be angry that she got pregnant, but...
2: It's like, I'm angry at timing. myself for not pulling out. You <laughs> know, like, what the fuck? <laughs> right? How are you going to be angry at her? She doesn't have any control over it. Exactly. Yeah.
3: So, I... Because I, it was kind of like, oh, why would, he, why would you think that he would be angry with you? Like, you're giving him an heir.
1: Right. And then yeah, I realized needs. that
3: I think it was because they're on the road and at war mm-hmm. and it may not be the best timing with you know Edmir's wedding coming up and so I think that's where her concern
2: lies. Yeah, I think you're right. That's a great interpretation. Um yeah, and she says, you know, angry he says, angry, you're my queen, you know, and she says, I have your little and I have your little prince or princess inside me. Maybe one of each. <laughs> don't don't get fucking greedy. Don't get okay. greedy. <laughs> And then she has like a a beautiful line where she says, can you just leave the war for one night, you know? And in my head, I'm thinking, he he already fucked up the entire war by staying with you for one night in the first place, bitch. Well,
3: And it's totally a foreshadow of the Red Wedding again, because they do leave the war.
2: Right. (laughs) For for good. (laughs) Yeah, sadly. Oh, man. And I'm obviously I'm kidding about calling her a bitch and saying that he fucked up the war with, for, because of her, you know of course, of course I'm joking course. You know, I have an like abrasive sense love. of humor I apologize to. I know the you do
3: I've been listening to you for a while now
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, so, I love that don't get greedy don't
1: Such get greedy you know and
2: he's just so overcome you know by this whole thing and she just has that line can you just leave the war for one night and he grabs her pulls her close and says I love you yeah It was a powerful moment. Very powerful. Um, you know, the reaction of a father to be, you know, (laughs) like pretty interesting.
3: Yeah. And I think, I think the actor that played Rob Stark played that really well because it was like shock and excitement and a little flicker of
1: fear. (laughs)
3: Um, you know, and I think those are very honest emotions. Like when I found out I was pregnant, it was a surprise we were not trying and um, Mm. it turns out I was like just ending my first trimester when I found out I was (laughs) pregnant. But when I found out I, the first words that came out of my mouth was, Oh crap. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but then it immediately followed like, wow, this is amazing. Like, Oh my gosh. You know? and And when I told my husband, I could see that same kind of, Pro, like,
1: thought, thought process you go
3: through like 12 different emotions like all at right. once like
2: rapid and fire fear is one of them yeah. for well, sure it's perfectly natural fear is strongest when it comes to something that's unknown right and for the for being a first-time parent the whole process is unknown the way that everything is going to change is unknown it's got to be terrifying so it's like you know fear is is a perfectly In natural thing. way right.
3: it's yeah. like you're it's like terrifying like
2: and exciting you're kind yeah. of like
3: an adrenaline junkie and you're about ready to like yeah,
2: terrifying like you're about to jump out a plane you know like.
3: exactly it's like you're so excited but there's like that flicker of fear like how am i going to do right. this like physically do it but you just know that you are and it's going to be a great experience and that's what it
2: has been that's awesome <laughs> i just said jump out a plane instead of jump out of a plane and i'm like that's weird why did i say that <laughs> yeah <It works>. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah uh, what do you what anything you got for your notes
3: I do. I have a couple of things for my notes. So right. um, I don't want to forget Theon's castration right. scene. So um, I didn't put this as my any of my top five because it's such a brutal scene. And again, it kind of goes back to like the the sex stuff with the uh, bear and the maiden fair. Um, it's just a horrible. It's a horrible way, like, first of all, it's horrible to begin with that you castrate anybody.
2: But then to so, trick them into, into readying the organ trick- in that manner. You know?
3: Yeah. I, and so I just felt like it's the epitome of Ramsey's just...
2: depravity.
3: Oh, God. He's so Sadism. wicked. And, the, like, for him to think that up, all right. Like, my mind doesn't work that way. I don't think of like evil things. And even when I do think of like evil things to like the asshole that cuts me off on the highway, it's like nowhere near that (laughs) level of psychotic.
2: Right. Yeah. That's uh, what it is. I don't even have have
3: the words for it. It's psychotic. There's no like
2: justifiable motivation. You know, it's just pure psychosis, pure sadism and, psychopathy it's like you have
3: to think a long time
2: what's his favorite thing how can i take it from him
3: yeah and it's just so so sad and it, it, it just kind of starts on kind of downward spiral yeah the you
2: know, whole time too like father, oh yeah, yeah you're right yeah
3: and um, yara i keep wanting to call
2: her off, oh, sure. <laughs> but, uh, yeah
3: um yara It's just because I've been reading the
2: books, right? Yeah, uh, just for anybody who didn't get that in the books, her name is Asha, but in the they changed it in the show probably because it was too similar to Osha. I guess
3: Osha, yeah. So I, you know, I just feel like it's the beginning of his downward spiral, which we know later on he he does come back from it, which made it a little bit easier to watch. But it was just such a terrible. It's a terrible thing to do to a person And yeah. It just really hit home for me Like how psychotic Ramsey is Like that's the only word that comes to <clears throat> mind And that's not even like a good enough Strong enough word to describe What a crazy Not even like human Yeah, You just don't
2: think like and that s- Soon neither will Theon be human it's interesting I we're still referring to him as theon at this point that's going to change very soon we're going to be referring to him <laughs> for a number of like a number of months as reek exclusively reek. Uh, that's wild <laughs> holy shit man yeah
3: totally and
2: you can tell just how traumatized theon is already because you know these two beautiful girls are like stripping on him and like doing all this stuff and all he says is where is he he sent you i
1: know if he comes He's back so-
2: yeah he can't he doesn't see the, the 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 anything any of the glory that's all over him you know all he can think about is a sadistic psycho who he knows is playing a trick on him and it's just so messed up it's all is like one track mind you know where is he he sent you if he comes back you know like they
3: just i know and then he starts like believing that it's like real and it's kind of like dude you know? come and on and then out of everything
2: like, possible
3: <laughs> like
2: He, oh, he hits him with the horn that <laughs> Theon hates so much, and then he actually literally hits him with the horn too, right in the face. Oh, right. <laughs> so, so funny. We're on the ground. Fucking kill that horn player. <laughs> bring me uh, the person I, blowing the horn. I'll kill them myself. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
3: no, nope, uh, you won't. <laughs> so I hate to bring it up as a note, but it, it was kind of an important scene for. Yeah. For Theon's character,
2: and uh, I think we need to mention that um, how he unslings that horrifying-looking hooked and bladed implement as well, and you know exactly what's coming. Oh
1: yeah.
2: Your famous cock must be very precious to you. (laughs) Would you say it's your most precious part?
1: (laughs) Please. No. You
2: know, this is mercy. I'm not killing you. Just making a few alterations.
3: Oh God, he's so horrid right? uh,
2: just super super ultra sadist <laughs>
3: yes and i will say that watching ramsey get killed was a very um difficult scene for me yeah and you yeah, know why
1: yeah.
3: um, but it was also really great <laughs> he got what he deserved yeah, but it was just a very i
2: Ugh. i had to leave the room yeah i don't blame you um, it's hard even I for me you know it. for just a regular viewer to watch that everybody loves everybody yeah, loves dogs it was, and it's hard to see a dog do that and yeah
3: yeah and the, and his when he kills his little brother too i i couldn't i had a watch, I, like the any anytime the dogs are around with ramsey i'm like i'm leaving the room right. i can't yeah,
1: watch yeah. i don't blame you <laughs>
2: Oh man! My
3: husband's like they're done. I'm like okay, okay. I'm back. <laughs> I'll come back now. He's like no, wait, go back. Oh, I thought it was done. No, don't. And look. I'm, like, running down the hallway.
2: <laughs> oh man!
3: Like plugging my ears
2: though. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, I also have. Uh, Just some little notes that we both we had Sansa lamenting over her situation and Tyrion also lamenting over his situation and they're both talking about the same situation, (laughs) so it's kind of funny. All of of our favorite characters uh, lamenting about this stuff and I thought um, you know I I really liked I I respected Marjorie for sticking up for Tyrion here. You know she didn't have to, but she's like uh, you know you, you don't want him though. He's a Lannister. Far from the worst, Lannister, wouldn't you say? <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. Here I am complaining to you. You know, and and, and she's going to be marrying Joffrey. You know, which is a million times worse, right? So, so uh, I also liked that. Um, you know, what, what's what is it? You know, is uh, like she's like. Well, I'll have to. We'll have to you know, if it's not the pain you're worried about, um, like, what is it? He's like, she's like, uh, I'm not worried about the pain, not after what Joffrey's done. And he, What is it and then? And she kind of like, uh, you know, he's a dwarf basically is what yeah. she's with thinking, you know? And, and again, Marjorie steps up and she's so awesome here. She's like, well, he's rather good looking, even with the scar. And she has this flicker of excitement on her face. And she's like, especially with the scar. <laughs> like it's sort of telling for Marjorie's psychology that she likes like a dangerous man, you know, type thing. Like, it was pretty funny. Well,
3: and I think it's also known that like, she's not a virgin. Right.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And <laughs> I,
3: I found it really funny because Sansa goes, you know, I'm stupid. A stupid little girl with stupid dreams who never right, learned. Yeah. And then and then like later on in the conversation, Marjorie's like, you know, sons sons learn from their mothers. They plan on teaching mine a great deal. Right. And going back to what you were saying, it's like, you know, she's telling Sansa, like, you know, it takes a lot to, you know, please us. And my heard like quite experienced. And Sansa's like, and that's a good thing. And she goes, Yeah, you know, it It can be. It <laughs> takes a lot. And she goes, Well how do you know this did your mother teach you and she goes yes my mother taught me and it
1: just, it's yes so sweet girl
3: sansa starts out the scene Come, with i'm so yeah. stupid i'm a stupid little girl and then she makes like this stupid comment about like oh did your mother teach you and i just started laughing i was just
2: like yeah oh i was God, thinking you the same thing sansa so naive right back to her roots at the end you know she's complaining yeah <laughs> she exactly. has a revelation about it and then falls right back into
3: exactly <laughs> like you're like oh maybe she's like figuring it
1: out oh no
3: and not like natalie dormer i love her i first saw her in the Tudors. oh I've, or, yeah
2: i've always wanted to watch that never really did oh you have jonathan to. reese meyer right watch
3: it he he is the best henry the eighth you could ever
2: i watch. liked him in the movie i'll sleep when i'm dead with clive owen yeah. have you seen that it's a not, really, really fucked I up movie. It. It's really it. fucked up movie, especially for but guys. Natalie
3: Dormer plays Anne Berlin,
2: Oh. and
3: she is incredible.
2: Nice. She's incredible. I'm gonna have to watch that. She,
3: she's mysterious and beautiful and smart and intelligent. And when I saw that she was cast as,
2: Lady you're like country, perfect. I was super excited. She nails it.
3: It was a perfect fit. Yeah, she's yeah.
2: meant for that role
3: you definitely need to watch the tutors especially because they're kind of a history
2: right yeah Um, i love uh you know this type of period piece sort of thing like
3: yeah it's kind of hard to watch after game of thrones because like the cgi is
2: like nowhere near Uh,
3: the the quality i can Um, deal with that (laughs) but it's it's it stays true to the historical um fact that's great and kind Of a depressing and sad story.
2: Um, a lot of the best ones are.
3: But yeah, Natalie Dormer plays an excellent ambulance. She is phenomenal.
2: In that Good to show. know. I didn't and know she I, was in that, so thank you.
3: I have watched it a couple of times. Jonathan Reese Myers nails Henry VIII. He nails him. <laughs> nails
2: awesome. him. Next, we have uh, Bronn and Tyrion kicking it. And it's Tyrion's turn yes. to lament. <laughs> and <laughs> she's a child. She's a foot taller than you. <laughs> a funny line. A tall child. A tall child. <laughs> she is tall, too, because she towers over many of the characters. She's
3: like 5'11". Right. She's like the second tallest right. person yeah, of the cast.
2: <laughs> Not the second tallest, but close. <laughs> uh, yeah,
3: she's pretty tall.
2: So funny. Yeah. Um, so they he they, have, they go along. They're joking about all this stuff, and Bron has a couple really good lines. You know, one: "You waste time trying to get people to love you. You'll end up being the most popular dead man in town."
3: Uh, <laughs> I liked you. Pay me to kill people and bother you, <laughs> <laughs> right?
2: Yeah. evil notions come free, which is <laughs> a funny line. Uh,
3: yeah, any time they're on scene together is
2: phenomenal. Right. <laughs> Oh man. It's so good. So we didn't get enough of them in this episode, but uh we we did no. get a little bit a couple great one liners from Braun or two liners and everything and <laughs> so that was pretty funny. And then we have Tyrion and Shay talking about the whole situation as well. And uh
3: Shay drives me crazy. It's like why are you jealous? <laughs> Like, you're, you're being paid. Like, why are you wigging yeah, out?
2: She calls herself Shay the funny whore. And I was like, eh, I, I don't know. know how funny is the word I would use as a descriptor.
3: You're like an annoying whore, but okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, the needy whore, the annoying whore, <laughs> the complaining whore. I just whore. don't get
3: it. It's like, you're freaking out. Like, what did you expect? Did you honestly think Tyrion was going to marry you? I mean, maybe she did in a way because well, yeah, married Yeah, Tysha. she knew that
2: he did marry a whore before. So she was like, hey, hey, hey I'm in with the Lannisters now, Maybe. Bitch. But I just Her jealousy drives me crazy Yeah And, and I'm Shay's funny whore It's like no you're really not that funny When have you ever been funny Oh it's so funny And I say it's funny uh, So I guess it was funny that she thinks she's funny but she's not So maybe she is funny Damn I don't know I'm confusing myself This know, is getting into that like, random in territory of <laughs> Cyclical thoughts And stuff <laughs> So uh, they have a really touching moment as well here, um, which is also really sad simultaneously when, um, you know, she she says, children, you think I want children who can never see their father, who'd be killed in their sleep if their grandfather found out about them? And it's true, like, you know, like, it's not going to work out, you know? <laughs> like, another, like, similar thing with... Uh, with uh, the John and Ygritte thing, except this time it's the man of the scenario who's like pu- pushing the dream and it's the woman who's bringing the truth, you know, just like a little reversal of the roles as opposed to John and Ygritte you know, foreshadowing the demise of the relationship. This story is just full of tragedy, you know, all over the place. So you got to take the, the the light moments when you can and uh, embrace them and accentuate them so not, you, don't, you don't get pulled under by all the darkness Okay.
3: yeah <laughs> no. and that's like why i love like the Braun and Tyrion scenes because they just bring like a little lightness and right jovial quality to the show <laughs>
2: yeah yeah totally
3: their banter tormund. I mean, I mean, it's, it's basically Braun. yeah it's like characters like Braun and tormund um because even when Braun is with jamie yeah like he still has funny one-liners that make you kind of like scoff or giggle or laugh yeah
2: <laughs> Oh, so next we have uh, Arya, who refuses to talk to Beric by continuing to talk to him. <laughs> so yes, funny. this was on my notes
1: too, <laughs> yes. It was yes. great.
2: Come sit by the fire, child. Not talking, eh, that's a first. I don't talk to traitors, you know? <laughs> I didn't like giving up the boy, but you did, she continues <laughs> talking to him, which is funny. And uh, we get a taste of, uh, you know, we, this is a room here with a couple instruments of various gods. In it, essentially, Beric is an instrument of the Lord of Light, and Arya is an instrument of the God of Death. Like, there is no question about it, right? On either case. So uh, they sort of clash for a brief moment here, and Beric is left absolutely speechless. Because what do you say when a nine-year-old says this to you? He says, the Red God is the one true God. You've seen his power. When he commands, we obey. And she replies, he's not my one true God. No, who's yours? Death. Death. (laughs) What do you say to a nine-year-old girl who says that? Like, how do you even begin to respond to that? And Barak is just as speechless as any fucking buddy else in the world would be. He doesn't even respond. Right? Like, oh, damn. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. Well,
3: then she, like, she runs out. And here's
2: here's the question that I
3: had. What the hell is the hound doing, lurking in the woods?
2: <laughs> he's just waiting for a little girl to, to capture. <laughs> like so unlike that. Like, he, he I can tell you what he's doing. Trial by combat. He, oh,
3: okay. Well, okay. I mean,
2: <laughs> I, at least what I would be doing. They just stole his gold, man. He won, <laughs> you know, coming back to the gold. Oh, right?
3: yeah. He won back, that right? that
2: tournament. You know, after he saved Soloris, and Loras voided or waived his own victory in the list and proclaimed Sandor the champion, and that first moment where I think, you know, the first moment where we see, like, Sandor getting the dues that he deserves, where a crowd, an audience is, you know, shouting and praising and screaming his name and and cheering for him. And I think it's foreshadowing some major accomplishment that we're going to see the Hound, um, you know, Uh, complete the next season at least I'm hoping because that'd be fucking awesome right maybe killing his brother in a similar trial by combat scenario or something like that Um, but uh, yeah he they stole his gold man like that was everything to him like so he's lurking because he's gonna he's coming in you know in the in the middle of the night basically he's picking the lock, coming in blasting in the middle of the night when everyone's sleeping to get that gold back no question about it I think I mean I, I hadn't really call. even considered it until you asked. And I was like, oh, it's got to be the gold, you know, like, I'd like.
3: Yeah, because like, I mean, I've watched this enough times and I've always just wondered, I'm like,
2: what is he doing? There?
3: <laughs> is he like lurking in yeah, the way? He's
2: just plotting his like, What his is he doing revenge. there? <laughs> That's what he's doing. And he probably. He smells his gold. Yeah, he smells his gold. And he's probably thinking like, oh, maybe the, maybe the Stark bitch could be useful too, you know. It, it probably like if that's he could true. get away with her and the gold maybe he would maybe he wouldn't bother taking her because it would make it, it, him too cumbersome and he might not get away with the gold but given the opportunity he's ends up deciding she's more valuable than the gold and takes her instead right that's true so that's true so that's a pretty cool we get the beginning of the uh, one of the all-time favorite game of thrones comedic duo combinations, Duos. right? Or not even comedic duo, but just duo combinations, right? Everybody loves the the hound and the and the wolf combo, you know? <laughs> like yeah, everybody loves totally. that people talk about how they want spin-offs of it and stuff. So, we have that to look forward to in the near future, which will be a lot of fun. It's great.
3: <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, I think I think their their dynamic with each other is great and it's another duo like in a way kind of like Jamie and Brienne it's like i feel aria kind of softens the hound a little oh, bit oh yeah and
2: humanizes uh, him more you know more. the
3: hound tells aria kind of how it is and
2: they both make each other better people story i forward. feel like you know or like totally. more capable people um man i love the hound man he's one of my favorites I know you guys know that. You guys too. know that. I, I don't that. need to keep saying yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> it's true though. Oh, <laughs> very, very uh, so next we have Osha and Hodor, and Osha is complaining about how Jojen always gets to sit and chat while well, they do all the work, right? And Hodor are like, Hodor you know, he doesn't really Hodor. care. <laughs> so uh, it's so funny. He's not like he could sit and chat really anyway, you know. <laughs> um so uh And
3: her story of Rudy, Oh I know, it's oh. so
2: sad. It's another really great, like, horrorf- horrible, romantic, um, terrible, sad story that I like and and makes me real sad at the same time. <laughs> but before we get to that, um, she's, you know, compl- talking to Jojen, and Jojen is, like, talking about how he's just not filling Bran's head with anything, really. He's just trying to help him, you know, understand what it means, you know, what his visions mean. Bran says, you know, I've felt I've been, you know, the raven's been coming to me ever since I fell. You know, and OSHA says, well, just, you know, just tell us what it means. <laughs> you know, It's like, it's not like that. I wish I could just tell them all the answers. It would be much easier. And I have written down that would include too many spoilers, though. <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> too spoilery for us, the audience. Oh, you know, we need to <laughs> explain the whole story and brand significance. It's a mystery. It needs to remain a mystery for us. So thank you, Jojen, for not telling us. But uh, yeah, then. He's like uh he's like well Bran needs to find the raven beyond the wall and Osha's like oh no I'm not going back there Your brother's at Castle Black that's where we're going You know she says you have a family you need to go to Castle Black so you can get back to them where you belong He says well what if I belong in the north What if I fell from that tower for a reason you know and even before he's connected to the to the weirwood network he's already putting like events in his life and perspective in a way that's very mature for his age, you know, totally. Um, And
3: I think Jojen kind of helps him. Yeah. Like sort through that. That's like kind of what they talk about.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. And so I was just like, wow, it's crazy that he's even able to conceive of it in that manner at this point in his life. So soon after the trauma, you know, like when he's still so young and emotionally, um, immature, Theoretically, um, and it made me think of like people have been speculating for, uh, you know, about how it's going to go down, basically, when Bran ends up being reunited with Jamie. And I have speculated that I think that Bran is going to forgive him, um, which I think is going to mean a lot to Jamie. I think it it haunts Jamie like what he did to to Bran. You know, I really feel like it haunts him every day. I could see him like receiving that apology and then like doing something like he, like he tried to do when he tried to kill Daenerys, you know, and he threw himself in front of the dragon, you know, once, once
3: ending the war, yeah.
2: like once he has his forgiveness, you know, for the single worst act of his entire life, basically, then maybe we could, we could see Jamie end up actually sacrificing himself and potentially really dying. Um, confident in his mission and the knowledge that he's been forgiven um you know and that his his redemption is essentially complete in that case
3: no that's definitely a, a really good point and i think also you know at this point in season seven bran isn't really brand
2: right he's computer uh, man
3: you know yeah he's brand like, computer <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly he's like robotic that's a reference and, for
2: people out you know, there so
3: the forgiveness while it might be genuine it may not come across as genuine to Jamie right. um,
2: oh in the future there's no.
4: yeah maybe either that like no or maybe
2: stuff. it will maybe his lack of emotion will you know tell Jamie that he really does see it in perspective I don't know it could go either way you could be totally right you know well it's going to be interesting to see.
3: He might just take it, Jamie might just take it for face value though. It's like, oh, I've been forgiven, right. but this kid's fine.
2: Yeah. It. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I hadn't considered that a potential forgiving may not mean as much coming from brand computer as it, uh, as it may, uh, as it, you know, if it had came from brand before he was connected before he was three, I Raven Brand. Yeah. brand. It's interesting. Interesting idea. So next, you know, Osha goes into explaining um, her reasoning for not wanting to go back up north, and she goes into her monologue about Bruni. You want to talk about it?
3: Well, I just, you know, I just really felt like she did such a great job. Um, The actress who plays
2: Natalia Tana. Yeah. Wonderful performance here.
3: I mean, it was like a great monologue, like when I was his and he was mine.
2: Right. Just like Igret said to John earlier in the episode and like.
3: Yeah, and you could just tell that she really loved this man.
2: One day, Bruni leaves and doesn't come back, and everybody says that he doesn't care and that he left her, but she knows knows better than that. And then uh, one day, he comes home, except it's not really Bruni. You
3: know, his eyes were blue, and you know, it was just so real, and you could see the fear on her face and yeah. the heartbreak, and you know, he squeezed. Neck. I could feel the life draining out of Ugh. me, and you just felt it. You felt like, you know, and I burned our hut to the ground. Right.
2: And, and she sticks we the knife into his heart and hardly seems to notice. And that's when we know for oh, yeah, fact yeah. that she's talking about that he's a white. You know, he's a white. If, it's is just heartbreaking.
3: I felt like when she was talking about like burning her hut to the ground, it was like she
2: burned her old
3: life to the ground, burned her whole world I've to been the on ground. The, yeah, I've been on the run ever since. It's just it was just a really sad moment yeah. for her character
2: yeah and really sad really really touching um for me definitely and it, also for me like it, it's the first like really humanizing moment we have for her and it it really puts into perspective the sort of mind state that she's in when we first meet her like how angry she is and how willing to be violent and and vicious she is and it's because you know at least partially because just, her whole life just got ripped out from her like the person that she loved more than anything just tried to kill her and she had to put him down essentially you know exactly and like so how do you cope with that trauma you run away you shut yourself off to emotion you start lashing out and uh, that's basically exactly the state that we find OSHA in and it's only um, when she becomes trusted and cared for by a stranger, essentially, that she's able to overcome that that mind state and, you know, sort of begin her own redemption arc.
3: Yeah, and you also get to really feel why she's like, there's no way I'm in hell, I'm going back up
2: there. Like, never, you know? Like, never. <laughs> I, I don't blame I, I her.
3: Promised your, I promised your maester I would get you to Castle Black no further
1: right
3: and she means it and right. the story solidifies that to her traveling companions that she she is willing to go to castle black go all the way back north where she just came from fleeing to take bran to castle black but she's not going any further
1: right. end of
3: story and this yep. is why And you can't argue with
2: her. (laughs) You cannot argue with her. And I'm a sucker for Natalia Tenna anyway. I think she's just absolutely gorgeous. Oh, totally. uh, You know, I I love her, basically. (laughs) So, yeah, very effective scene. (laughs) Very well acted. I thought she's just brilliant, brilliantly did this scene. So, kudos to Natalia Tenna and to the writers for making this scene. I thought it was really good. Totally. (laughs) Let's see. What else we got? Anything else? I think that was all my notes Yep, that's all mine as well Alright, that pretty much wraps up our notes So stay with us, we'll be right back
0: Well, here we are again It's always such a pleasure Remember when you tried to kill me twice Oh, how we laughed and laughed
1: Except I wasn't laughing under the circumstances that have been shockingly nice you want your freedom that's what I'm counting
2: It's a mashup of music from video games Portal 2 and 2016's Doom. And we're back with no <laughs> news about Game of Thrones this week because the web is dark and full of spoilers. <laughs> but we do have some pretty cool stuff to talk about. And uh, I found some, uh, some neat info on a, a, a website called Game of Thrones and Norse By Dorian, the historian, who is famous for his Ragnarok theory, where he compares all these characters from A Song of Ice and Fire to uh, characters from the Norse Ragnarok mythology, which is really cool. We've talked about it a little bit before on the show, but I took a little, you know, some excerpts here, and uh, we'll just trade off talking and reading this stuff. How about that? Okay, (laughs) perfect. So the the first little part starts with the four Stark kids with direwolves. Rob, Bran, Arya, and Rickon represent the four wargs from Norse mythology, i.e. Garmer, Loki's son Fenrir, and Fenrir's sons Hati and Skoll. Garmir is the equivalent to Rickon, Fenrir is the equivalent to Bran, Hati is the equivalent to Arya, and Skoll is the equivalent to Rob. But before we get to the last one there, let's review some of the connections that... Dorian, the historian, has already made for the Stark children. Take it away, Lady Rachel.
3: Okay, so Bran, if G-R-R-M is in fact following the Ragnarok's mythology, then Bran is almost certainly the warg, i.e. monstrous wolf, Fenrir, the bound wolf. His binding paralyzation comes at the hands, pun intended, of Tyr, in parentheses, Jamie). loses a hand as a consequence of his actions. FYI, Tyr's hand was bitten off after binding Fenrir's legs with a magical chain, which supposedly restrain him until he breaks free at Ragnarok. Similarly, Bran is now bound in a cave, much like Fenrir, and is in contact with Bloodraven, who represents Loki, Fenrir's father, so that one's pretty easy to figure
2: out that's... did you
3: name your bird after this loki or <laughs>
2: uh i named i yeah yeah <laughs> yep sure, why not? no no it is yeah loki the norse uh, god of mischief yep oh awesome yeah um yeah so that's pretty wild man there's this mytho- mythological character named Tyr in the ragnarok mythology who loses a hand as a result of the consequence of binding um fenrir's legs so it's the same thing. Jamie pushes Bran out of the window, breaks his legs, essentially, or paralyzes him, and then as a karmic consequence, loses his hand. So very similar to Ragnarok mythology. The uh, the you know, lettering, the name Tyr also has significant to Jamie as his younger brother. His first name begins with Tyr, Tyrian. So Tyrion. it has an association uh. with association with Jamie, and uh, there's a lot of stuff like this. So next, Arya. Arya's connection isn't quite so straightforward, and that's largely because Hati, one of Fenrir's two sons, doesn't have quite so large a role as Fenrir does in the mythology. But Hati, whose name means he who hates, is said to chase the moon throughout the night sky and will and will swallow it come Ragnarok. This is represented, firstly, by the intense hatred Arya displays for her enemies as she recites a list of names of the people she wants to murder each night before she goes to bed, and secondly, by her by her quest to join the Faceless Men. FYI, a moon is carved on the door of the House of Black and White, where the kindly man trains her to become an assassin. So, in attempting to become a Faceless Man, she is, quote, chasing the moon, unquote, and in becoming one, she will have caught it which is a sign that Ragnarok has begun. the Endgame. Oh, man, it's so cool.
3: It is super cool. Sansa. Unlike Bran and Arya, Sansa is not a word, i.e. Monstrous Wolf, because her direwolf lady was killed when Cersei ordered its destruction after Nymeria attacked Joffrey in A Game of Thrones. I therefore linked Sansa, whose name means Apple, FYI if you Google Sansa Apple, you'll find it's a type of hybrid, much like a Fuji. Oh, super cool. Yeah. Um, To Aiden? Aiden?
2: Sounds right. the
3: (laughs) The goddess of youth and beauty. Sansa is clearly associated with youth, given the silly romantic ideals she dreams of in the beginning of the series and the fact that we've witnessed her transition into womanhood by way of her first blood. What's more, is she... What's more, is she married her brother's killer, or almost did, which is what Loki accuses Iden of doing in the locasena Granted, we're not quite sure who this brother was, but Iden doesn't seem to refute the charge. And above all, she is smuggled out of King's Landing by Littlefinger and hidden away in a mountain fortress that that's represented by a falcon, Almost exactly like the story of Iden in the Yachtner the Zaw. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> um, so given the apples and the eerie, I think she's a pretty safe bet.
2: Me too. Yeah. I lo- Very cool. I love this. It's, the Ragnarok stuff is particularly striking to me. There's all these really bizarre uh, connections, which are just spot on george has a way of just encrypting all this mythology and stuff into it that's what i mean like people are going to be decoding this for
3: he's a freaking genius yeah.
2: people are going to be decoding this forever so next we have john snow john says it himself in a game of thrones i'm not a stock <laughs> and i think we're all familiar with the rhaegar plus Leon theories linking him to house targaryen and if my theory is correct that john snow and ghost really are dead that would send Jon Snow down the path of the giant Surtur, the Black, who is foretold to break the Bifrost Bridge and lead the forces of Muspel into Asgard to do battle with the gods. Granted, I should point out that an anonymous commenter suggested that Stannis, rather than Jon, may be Surter, and Jon may represent Sigurd, which is a credible theory, but I'm not quite convinced. Because, firstly, Surtur will be working with Fenrir during Ragnarok, and I see John as a much more obvious connection to Bran than Stannis. Not to mention Surtur is destined to attack Freyr, Walter Frey, Walder Frey, during Ragnarok, and Jon Snow would have obvious reasons for doing so. Whereas Stannis's motivations wouldn't quite be so clear. This is written in 2013, just so everybody knows. And it's more book related, um, but there aren't really like spoilers per se. Plus, John was, quote, kissed by fire in regards to Egrit and could be, quote, the song of ice and fire. Rhaegar had mistakenly named Aegon in the House of the Undying Prophecy, which would fit Surtur's role, given the fact he basically serves as Loki's general during Ragnarok, i.e., John would sing the song of ice and fire. And, I'm led to believe, based on the recent book, that he's beginning to replace Stannis in Melisandre's eyes. We know that from the show. Um, He certainly has replaced Stannis in Melisandre's eyes, right? Yes, I think so. Yeah, definitely. And Jon's death creates an avenue for Melisandre to convert him to the Lord of Light.
3: Rob, the work Skull is the counterpart of Hathi, His name means treachery, and he is said to chase the sun through the sky, which he will swallow come Ragnarok. I think that bit about treachery is pretty obvious in regards to Rob, given the fact that the Red Wedding is still fresh in everyone's minds. And the phrase chasing the sun could be in reference to Rob's war with Joffrey. Mm. If Joffrey represents Balder the Shining One, although it should be said that Balder isn't the embodiment of the sun, strictly speaking, but he is associated with the sun and light in general, hence his name, the Shining One. And his hall is said to shine brighter than the sun. Plus, Balder's premature death is said to be a precursor to Ragnarok. Supposedly, Baldner's mother, Frigg, i.e., Cersei, made everything in the world, animals and inanimate objects included, swear an oath to never harm her precious shining sun. But she ends up overlooking the plant mistletoe, which. Hodder? Hodder? Baldur's blind friend. Hodder!
2: Hodder, but it made me think of Hodor. <laughs>
3: I know, me too. I almost said Hodder. Um. <laughs> which Hodder, Baldur's blind brother, uses to shoot him with after he's tricked into doing it by Loki. The oath Frigg forces out of all the world's things is representative of Cersei's warning to Joffrey. Everyone who isn't us is an enemy, i.e. she sees everyone as potentially harmful to her precious little shining one, just like Frigg feared for Balder. And Balder's death, which basically caused Frigg to have a nervous breakdown, is represented by Joffrey's death by poisoning at his wedding. So, if Joffrey is Balder, and Balder represents the sun, then Rob was chasing the sun in his war with Joffrey. Or the sun could reference the house Karstark, whose sigil is the son of Winter, i.e. the beheading of Rickard is a sign of Ragnarok has begun. Ooh, very interesting. So
2: many layers. <laughs> Truly. Yeah, it's absurd.
3: And because Skull and Hati are brothers slash counterparts, I theorize that Arya's death will mirror Rob's, meaning if Rob's death, i.e. his catching the sun, is a sign of Ragnarok, then Arya's death, i.e. her catching the moon, should be the same. So, I'm guessing she will be killed in her sleep at some point down the line, oh, i.e., catching the moon. Man. Oh my gosh, this is awesome. <laughs> While inside her wolf dream. And her death will run counter to Rob, Rob's in the sense Rob was unable to warg into Greywin when he was killed, but Arya will be connected to Nymeria very, via the wolf dream and will gain her second life on the trident with a pack of thousands of wolves at her back. Oh, this is great. Uh The pack she's always dreamed of, (laughs) which which she will use to reconquer Winterfell during Ragnarok, i.e. Jojen's prophecy, the wolves will come again. This may have been foreshadowed on the most recent episode of Game of Thrones, The Reigns of Castamere, when Sandor tells Arya, you're very kind, Someday it will get you killed. Ooh. I.e., someday the kindly man will kill her.
2: And in, uh, which brings us back to our first connection. And uh, the kindly man basically is Jack and Hagar for for us. Um,
3: yes, Jack and Hagar. And you know what I find really interesting about that paragraph is in season seven, Arya comes across by Nymeria with her pack
2: of wild wolves. Yes, totally. Very, very cool. Really cool. Yeah,
3: I love when Arya says, "You know, I'm, I'm, it's me, Arya. You know, I'm I'm finally going home. I'm going back to Winterfell. Like, come with me." And Nymeria turns away and walks away, and you see this like horrible sadness on Arya's face, and she goes, "That's not you." And I just loved that because it references back when she's sitting on the steps in the Tower of the Hand, and episode three about how she's yeah, how she's going to be a lady and she's going to marry a Lord. And she goes, no, that's not me. (laughs) Yep. And it was so great. It was just, it was one of my favorite. It was one of my
2: favorite scenes. Yeah. It's pretty,
3: probably as far as like small scenes go.
2: Pretty powerful series. Oh, wow. Yeah, Very powerful. Really cool scene.
3: And Maisie Williams, the tears in her beautiful, big brown eyes (laughs) in that moment. Oh my God. It was, so it was acted so perfectly. She did such an amazing job in that
2: moment. Imagine that, like your best friend, your wolf that you essentially betrayed and threw rocks at to save, you know, and you're separated for years and then you finally meet up again and then and then you don't stay together. Oh No, but
3: it's like she
2: she, she knows though like yeah they're the like, same let
3: her wolf fly and she succeeded and she's thriving yep. and that just like her it's beautiful exactly and i think that's why she's you know she, she's crying because of rejection initially but then she realizes like the way look at what be. my beautiful wolf has become right she's become exactly who she's meant to be yep
2: with a big old pack that's great it's awesome
3: <laughs> oh yeah it's great What's that? Do you hear that on the horizon?
2: You, do you hear that? Matthew Rep says, all you lords and ladies still think that the only thing that matters is gold. Well, this makes me happier than all your gold ever could. And that makes me happier than all her sapphires. So go buy yourself a golden hand and fuck yourself with it. <laughs> I wonder what Locke would think if he was actually around to see Jamie with his golden hand. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about this a little bit. It would we be just so funny. Yeah, it great. And hilarious. And uh, Matthew goes on to say, When Jamie tells Roos to send Rob his regards at the wedding, do you think he knows what's about to happen? Would he condone the killing of Kat even though he was their prisoner? I don't think he knows what is happening at all. I think he's entirely out of loop. I don't think that – I think that Roos Bolton knows at this point, but I don't think that he told Jamie because Roos has been in contact with Tywin, I'm assuming, but I don't think there's any reason to include Jamie in that knowledge. It would just create extra drama that didn't need to exist basically at that time. So I think that Jamie was in the dark about it. What do you, what about you?
3: I completely agree. So I think Jamie being held captive and being so like detached from his family and his father that he would probably have no idea, um, kind of the inner workings of what's going on. I think as far as Jamie's concerned, Bruce Bolton is still a Bannerman to Robb Stark. Um, and is looking to get on yep. Tywin's good graces by releasing Jamie back to Tywin. But what Jamie doesn't realize is the Raven has already flown. Yep. Tywin has already given Bolton the, the order. The toothpaste is to already execute. out of the tube. <laughs> yeah. And I think that uh. occurred. I think, you know, th- that Tywin sent that letter when he was either sitting in front of Cersei or Tyrion. Yeah, a few episodes back, I can't back, remember. Right? When they're sitting there all impatient, because I think it's Cersei, um, she's sitting there waiting for her father to finish writing the note. I think the note that he is writing is to Lord Bolton to start putting plans into place to execute, no pun intended, the Red Wedding.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. (laughs) Um, and so I also think when Jamie says, you know, to Lord Bolton, tell, um, tell rob you know the lannisters send their regards that's where raw or that's i'm sorry where roose bolton gets the language that he's going to use to actually kill rob stark because he already is aware that this
2: yep is taking place so it's almost like a pun for uh for roose bolton who like is taking the con- the comment out of context and basically applying it to Tywin's context here, you know, where Tywin wants yes. everybody dead. Tywin's a Lannister. Jamie wants to send his regards. Fuck it. I'll just give it in one message. The Lannisters send their regards, you know?
3: <laughs> and it's so chilling too, yeah. because then you, you realize like, you know, the past three, four five episodes that we've watched is all just stepping stones to this one horrific moment i can't it's like i can't wait to rewatch that episode but i'm also dreading
2: right (laughs) yeah (laughs) i feel it's
3: such an it's such a pivotal like i remember being a game of thrones virgin and watching the red wedding with my husband the first the very first time and when it cuts to like the closing credits and there's just no sound. Yep. And we just looked at each other and we were like, what the fuck just happened? (laughs) You know, it was so intense. So it's like, I want to like relive that even though it'll never be the same shock value, but at the same time, you know, it's coming and it's so horrific. It's so hard
2: to watch. Yeah, I like that cut to silence too. Uh, It sort of reminds me of this music video I made back in high school with this metal song. Where it's like there's a lot of stuff going on, and it's like jumping back and forth, and I'm like taking all these shots of like weird stuff and like rapidly cutting them together to create like bizarre images and stuff. And then when the uh, when the music hits like the peak, where it's like the most intense part, I just cut the whole screen to black. So all you, you hear the music, but all the visual stimulation is gone, and you're just consumed entirely by the the uh, the climax of the song before it like fades into like the credits or whatever it was pretty cool yeah
3: i have to say duncan you're extremely talented i mean i've listened to a lot of your songs (laughs) i mean you're you're super talented i i really enjoyed listening they're great
2: they're honestly really (laughs) good very much yeah i don't
3: i was like pleasantly surprised
2: thank you (laughs) i was just
3: saying it to you because it's the first time we've ever talked like verbally to each other
2: (laughs) right i appreciate that yeah
4: greetings strangers and cravens sworn swords and oath keepers this is lady caroline collins i wanted to drop off my feedback for the bear and the maiden fair uh and uh, i just i love all these episodes this one was great but i had a few things that i wanted to discuss one of which is Aurel. um Which is an interesting character. I had never really paid attention to him much before, but it was cool to hear him talk about how he knows who Jon Snow is. And we know he's a skin changer, but maybe he has a little bit of green sight too. And he might be seeing, kind of like Jojen sees what uh, Jon Snow's uh, background is, maybe what his parentage is. And he might have some insight into that. So uh, I'd love to see inside his head. I don't think we'll have much time left with him. But, uh, you know, he's an interesting character. The other thing I wanted to talk about was Daenerys. And I have a few points with her and I'll come back to her a little bit later. But uh, when she says, what happens to things that don't bend? That reminded me of the words of house martel unbowed unbent unbroken and i don't know if anybody Ooh, else connection. pictured this when she said that but uh we know that george r r martin wrote this episode and uh, maybe he's hinting at the uh death of house martel which happens at least in the show and um we know that all the male heirs are are now dead now going into season eight Damn. And um, unless we have any surprises, uh, they haven't really hinted at any in the show, so I, I think that we might have seen the last of House Martell. We know that all of Oberyn's uh, sand snakes are, are gone. Um, we didn't see uh, the the ladies die there in the in the black cells, but I think it's pretty safe to say <laughs> that we're not, we may not see She's them again. She's probably away. So that was kind of interesting, and um, I thought that that might have been a little hint from him. The other thing is, uh, Tyrion offers Shay a, a chain as a gift, a gold chain, and we know that's going to be her undoing eventually. Wasn't sure if that's foreshadowing, Tons probably deliberate, um, and Sir Patrick, oh, um, I, I did want to thank Sir Patrick for his, uh, for his episode last week, that was so funny. I was laughing my head off as I was like walking around my <laughs> neighborhood with my with my dog. I must have looked like a crazy person but I was I was just I thought it was so funny when he was like sort of coming up with new points and restarting and uh yeah he just he had me laughing really hard at that yeah. and of course uh, a lot of his points were really great too. Um, they were. And uh, he said that Thoris of Mir was a red shirt and <laughs> that made me laugh because he literally wears red, and <laughs> we we know that Melisandre has hinted that she's going to um, be like a martyr, really, for uh, for the Red God. Eventually, she's gonna give her life. Um, so it, it makes you wonder whether maybe the red uh, the red priests are all red shirts in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether they live a hundred years or just a few. They're uh, they're all designed to kind of um, give their lives for the cause, and uh, you know that's a possibility. I mean, George R. R. Martin is a big fan of, of sci-fi, and maybe this is his little nod to, to uh, Star Trek. Who knows? Cool. Um, the other point I wanted to make is, uh, you know, like the first time I watched this, when we had the Arya scene in the in the cave with Thoros and um, Beric Dondarrion, I really didn't picture her you know saying that her god was death as that big of a deal I was like oh yeah you know she's trying to seem tough she's trying to shock the guys into thinking that she's this you know badass but it's a little bit darker than that now we know a bit more about the red god and we know sort of about the stranger and the fact that even in the seven in the um, in the the seven gods of the Andals they they have the stranger, but nobody mentions him by name. You know, mm-hmm. and it's uh, and it's definitely a, a darker thing in the in the in the religion of Relore as well. They they do not speak his name, as Melisandre said. So when she says that death is her god, it's uh, it's pretty pretty serious for these guys. And they, they see it as... Um, it's almost like somebody saying that they worship Satan, you know, to a nun or something. <laughs>
1: That's <laughs> so, true. <yeah>. So <laughs> uh,
4: that didn't really have as much meaning before, but it definitely does for me now. Uh, my next point is about Asha. I love her story with Bruni. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. it open my eyes to a pattern with the with the white walkers they seem to send whites after people that they have loved in life or if like there's a special relationship even if it's not like you know someone who they've had a loving relationship with even if it's just somebody who maybe saved their life or has has done something for them they they seem to have that kind of tactic of sending back that person as a white to attack uh, the living person. And um, I've seen that a lot. We saw that at a Hard Home with uh the Wildling uh, woman who was just I, I've Hersey. forgotten the character's name, but the actress was just so amazing. Um Danish actor. I think she was a Nordic actress. Yeah. Oh, but she beautiful. was uh you know, she had this affection for her children and so when the when the children, the whites that were children came for her, she was just like, Oh no. <laughs>
1: yeah. I,
4: I'm never gonna be I able know, to fight children. And she just kinda gave in and and let them kill her and make her into a white. Um, we have it also with um, the guys that come back to Castle Black. They they know the Lord Commander. They know where to find him, um, and uh, they really kind of shock everybody when they when they come back.
2: Memory and place. then of
4: course Bruni uh, comes back for Asha and. Um, so it's it's definitely a tactic that they use. We're probably going to see it later in season eight. I hate to say it, but one of the characters that we know and love is probably going to come back as a white and is probably ah, going to scary. attack oh. one of our one of our living characters. And oh, uh, who knows what's going to happen in that case. That's going to be really, like, awful to watch. Um, is it going to be Hodor? Uh, my prediction is maybe <laughs> Jorah. I hate to say it, but he's Jorah. a pretty... Um, you know he's he's a beloved character but he's not a a central character um and uh you know if he if he gets turned to a white and comes back for for danny that would be pretty devastating for all of us to see um and would be like probably pretty awful for danny too so that's my prediction for going forward with the whites tactics uh my last thing is the chains um and Sir Patrick mentioned the chains quite a bit in his uh, episode and it got me thinking in in the bear and the maiden fair we see the noble lord um, of Yunkai come in in his little litter with his guys in chains (laughs) carrying him and it made me think you know we see a lot of chains in this show we see it um, as symbolism for slavery and uh, the, the whites are certainly it's a pretty poignant point to have the the whites as slaves to the white walkers and we see Danny as the breaker of chains. So like I I was thinking when we were, I was watching oh,
1: right.
4: the uh the episode with the chains pulling the dragon out of the the pond or the oh, bay the or the you know lake, whatever <laughs> Sir Patrick said it was. Um and they're pulling the dragon out. They use chains, and it's very—it's it, clear to me now why they used them—is because Danny's Danny's job is to break the chains, and yeah. uh, and now her dragon's under I the bondage of the whites. I don't know if we're going to get the back, wow, but that would be point. pretty damn cool if we could. Um, so that was just a point that I thought of. It—it's it, really she is the breaker of chains, so there's a possibility, and obviously with her symbolism with fire and everything, um, to to be the combatant of ice that totally makes sense too, but we've also got the breaker of chains symbolism and the slavery of the whites, so. Great connection. I thought that was an interesting fact. That's about all for now. Um, I am really excited to hear your new show and I absolutely love, um, I love Rachel, so, I'm, I love her input, <laughs> so I'm really excited to hear what she Aww, thought of I the love episode you too. as well, so. Um, congrats guys, and um, lots of good, good vibes coming from here. And I hope everybody's doing well. Talk to you later.
2: Bye. Thanks, Caroline. So nice to Such hear good you. Feedback. I don't think we've gotten a voicemail from her before and she is very well spoken. So that was nice to I hear I know. Yeah.
3: Send in another one. Definitely. That was great.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much. Really good. No, that
3: was that was some really great feedback. I loved the the tie in to the dragon getting yes. pulled out with the chains. So good. Yeah, so good, Caroline. Es- You're
2: awesome. Especially since Danny's the breaker of chains. It's just so heartbreaking to see not only the physical chains on her dragon, but like the metaphysical chains of her dragon being in the bondage of the White Walkers yes, and being a servant of the White that Walkers. Too. Oh, so um, brutal. So brutal. Voicemail. Thank you, Lady Caroline. Like Arborwine. Mm <laughs> hmm. <laughs> sarah larkham says at the end of the episode we see how jamie rescues brienne from the bear pit and we see tywin school joffrey and do it again in episode 10 of this season this was directed by michael mclaren thanks lady sarah All right. That's our show, everybody. Episode 69. 69, dude. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening. And a huge thanks to Lady Rachel of House Fox for joining us today. Thank you so much, Rachel, for joining us.
3: Oh, gosh. Thank you so much, Duncan. This was such a great experience. I'm so thankful to be on the show and finally talk to you over yes yeah uh, audio waves and, <laughs> um you know to all the game of microphones listeners out there thank you for letting me uh fill your headphones and car phones and <laughs> microphones with your with my voice and you know i i really loved being a part of this and thank you so much it was really an honor tonight oh
2: well, thank you you, you were uh, you were great i think it went really well so we'll have to have you back sometime soon
3: I would love it anytime.
2: Awesome. Anytime. <laughs> Next episode, we'll be covering season three, episode eight, Second Sons. Give it a watch and send us your thoughts. You know, I love to read them on air, and I love when you say them yourself. So leave us a voicemail, um, or give us a call, or whatever you want. Just uh, give us your thoughts. You know, we want to share them. We want to give you a platform. That's what this show's all about: creating a community, giving everybody a voice and uh, just having a fuck ton of fun basically right
1: yes
3: we (laughs) love the feedback i love raven's calls that's what got me hooked on this podcast to begin with really was all yes it was like i've listened to other uh podcasts for game of thrones and none of the other podcasts i mean some of them do listener feedback but not in the same platform as game of microphones and it's me what really set it apart and what made me fall in love with the show because awesome I loved all the feedback that your fans gave it, it just made me fall in love with the show all over
2: again <laughs> right So,
3: all you Ravens out there call in ASAP.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's uh, you know Game of Thrones it, it attracts a certain intellect and uh, I find that the listeners are very very capable of of uh, you know providing an interesting take on things and i just love being able to be able to provide them a platform like i said to help get their ideas out there so that's like one of my favorite things about doing this so yeah thanks everybody get your thoughts out be a part of the show be part of the community come join us on facebook and everything if you'd like to call you can always reach us at 813-563-3739 that's 813 joffrey
3: If you would like to write in, you can email
2: us. Yes, you can at our new email address, which is ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash g-o-m podcast.
3: slap. Ah. (laughs) We're also on Twitter and Instagram at g-o-m podcast.
2: Also, if you get a chance, we'd really appreciate it if you gave our Facebook page and iTunes feed a rating and review. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. I want to thank all you guys for your your patience. I know it's been an extreme amount of time since we released our last episode, and we actually recorded this one about a week after the Rider in the Night episode came out. So it's been quite a while that we've been sitting on it, and it's just taken quite a lot of time and... uh, an effort to get the platform back basically so now that it's back we'll be zooming forward on our rewatch and i'll hope that you guys will be joining me for that we're gonna have to cram in some extra episodes in order to finish the rewatch by the time season eight comes out so that's good news for you guys that means uh, we'll have a number of weeks with two episodes per week so hey that's gonna be awesome Thanks again for sticking with me, guys. I love you all, and I'll be looking forward to being in contact with you as we proceed with the rewatch. And uh, that will do it for today. Thank you to everybody. Thank you again to Lady Rachel for joining us. It was really awesome having you.
3: It was really great being here, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, you guys are what
1: you know makes this podcast great. It's all your feedback. So. Absolutely. Cersei. The Mountain. The Night King.
3: You're on Greyjoy. Caroline
2: Collins. Caroline Collins. Collins.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Love it.
2: Whoop, lost my headphones. Uh oh. <laughs> I found them. Uh, sorry. Yeah, she calls herself Shay the funny whore. And I was like,
1: eh, I don't I know, know
2: if funny is the word I would use as a descriptor.
0: You're like an annoying whore, but okay. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older. But Mini health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes.